This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries. Unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability, criminal prosecution, and the wrath of the tall man. (laughs) Boy! Welcome and thank you for checking out 90 for Chill the Podcast with Cat Bus Russ. This is Cat Bus Russ. We're going to work on making this available on all major podcast platforms. Perhaps the Google Nest and Amazon Echo devices should be quick to recognize Play Podcast by Cat Bus Russ. And you can fill your home with my dulcet tone. So this week is the start of a transition slash experiment period. I've been with Podbean for coming up on two years, and it's not a bad platform. There's a lack of intuitiveness to it. I've been panicking because, oh no, I'm only getting 100 episodes available on podcast feeds for Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. Working through all this, I kind of discovered that I might be able to change my feed. Who knows? I haven't done it yet. I'm not exactly looking to pay another hundred dollars for podbean spotify is a free app so let's go and try playing around with that in other words so with that this test episode is going to be a mega podcast of two episodes that i thought may be lost to the feed which is conversations about animation we'll start off with joe goldwitzer and i discussing tv shows adapted to full-length animated features that of course are under 100 minutes which is the entire point of this podcast, celebrating features of the ideal runtime. We're saying about, from everything I've seen now, I'd say 70 to 99 colon 59. So that's what the show is about. With that said, let me go and bring up the second part of the episode that will be dedicated to my conversation with the poetic critic. That's the poetic critic on Letterboxd. As for Joe Goldwitzer, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram username at quid pro underscore joe and my conversation though with the poetic critic will be about 80s animation these are going to be pretty thorough conversations i know we don't cover everything it's a great start i think for new to them features little hand says it's time to rock and roll bring the noise
All right, so it's in. We're recording. So this is 90forchill.com, the podcast. I'm your host, Russ Stevens, and that's probably already going to be said in the pre introduction. But hey, redundancy is what I'm known for. So uh, this week I have the quid. Is it quid? Joe quid, quid pro Joe like quid pro quo but but with yeah, the Joe I'm just trying to figure out where the where the uh, underscore is on oh that. uh yeah quid pro underscore Joe yeah that's what I was going for so and uh the original my original thought or just my try to draw people in I was thinking about like well St. Patrick's Day is a fake Irish holiday so let's honor a fake Irish American with uh Will Ferrell um movies that was more of a something i could probably trick my girlfriend into right <laughs> recording with me um but easy Joe, watching for sure so but there will be multiple saint patrick's days as far as we know so that's true uh, joe hopefully came, yes yeah <laughs> and uh joe uh, offered to help me out this week and brought up something that I'm surprised my uh, older sister, the poetic critic on Letterboxd, hadn't suggested the TV to animated features. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's, uh, I guess you'd have to say it wasn't a thing till the 80s, though. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you, yeah. you see it, especially with with the first ones, you know, you get a big round of them with the DuckTales and the all the Mickey Mouse movies that were out, the Jetsons, Flintstones movies, all oh, that I stuff. Even, I even forgot about the Jetsons, the Flint, Flintstones, uh, and uh, the Jetson Flintstones movie. <laughs> well, that I think that I think uh, <laughs> as they say on the podcast screen drafts, uh, that would fall under the Mooch rule, where no TV, <laughs> um, no made-for-TV stuff. But um, no, no, I yeah, no, for sure. And then I I realized that a lot of these were made for TV too. Um, but then you have things like we did the DuckTales movie come out in theaters, yes, it did. I saw it a couple of times when I was a kid. Um, See, I didn't know that. I, yeah. I actually watched it today, yes, same here. <laughs> I, I hadn't seen it since I was probably five or six, mm-hmm. so I was so, ten, 10 at the time. So, yeah, um, yeah, I was born the year it came out, <laughs> right? <laughs> well as i say that's really what i mean by it uh, was really a thing with the in the 80s and i don't necessarily think i mean you had hanna-barbera just creating product i mean they were rather prolific with their television stuff from the 70s the 80s and i think with warner brothers not really being in the game for after the uh chuck jones had left for mgm to do tom and jerry cartoons which are probably the worst Tom and Jerry cartoons. Yeah. Um, I think they were pretty much, Warner Brothers was pretty much out of the game. You had Disney still doing some animated features, but I really couldn't tell you much about their 70s lineup. I I had the feeling that, oh yeah, uh, Robin Hood must have been done in the 70s. The only one I can Oh yeah. The only one I can really recall is The Rescuers. Oh man, I used to love the rescuers. Uh, um, you see another big boom of of the cartoon, or at least movies based on cartoons that were theater bound in the nineties, late nineties, early two thousands. Yes. Too. Oh, Disney. Um, yeah, Disney was a uh, 
it took i think if it wasn't for you know the prolific disney renaissance of um little mermaid through um the lion king uh that they wouldn't have i think once they realized they had the market again then they were just producing as much stuff as they could well, and you, you had even Nickelodeon stepping in and being like, hey, we're going to put out this Rugrats movie. Yeah, um, well, the Rugrats trilogy. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, three of them. All released to theaters, by the way. Yes, yes. Uh, I I think it kind of fell off, um, you know, when Bruce Willis became involved, but yeah. I've, not seen <laughs> any, I've not seen any of the Rugrats movies. I just know that's the first time they really advertised the uh, celebrity aspect of it with bike being the being voiced by bruno yeah well and that's i you know that that first rugrats movie though i know i know you said you haven't seen it but i i remember seeing that in theaters and that was like i was eight and that was huge for me like i had that movie on vhs i watched it all the time that's how i feel about a few of these movies honestly um like recess schools out that's one that i didn't even know i cared about that I had on VHS and I didn't even care about that show. Yeah. Well, I can't really say that I had um owned any of these um these features um growing up. Uh even like I swear we probably saw Care Bears movie in the theaters three times, the second movie twice, uh the third movie once. I can't really remember too much of that one and it's not even you can't even find it anywhere right now with uh, distribution issues. Um, I, uh, we had the Care Bears movies on a, um, it was like recorded off TV on a VHS. Oh, so yeah, we, we, we would to, watch that. Oh yeah. We used to do that all the time. Um, especially with the old wrestling tapes you could get at Blockbuster and um, go and I'd, we'd have the two VCRs lined up dubbing. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so um so i guess i i don't know maybe growing up in a huge disney family um my father's side of the family is uh like they they were just disney nuts uh and um like uh the big the first real dis big disney thing i can remember growing up and you know this is 1983 i think was uh mickey's christmas carol and that oh, was, man. I think, well, maybe 83, maybe, maybe older than that. I, um, because I think it was on a, uh, it was attached to a reissue of the, uh, rescuers and I could hardly remember the rescuers, <laughs> but yeah, I don't remember but, much of it at all. Yeah. Mickey's Christmas Carol, all about that. Maybe it was 101 Dalmatians. I mean, use 80s is a great time for cinema. Um, at least. <laughs> I mean, because v, v, VHS was, uh, well, Disney Disney didn't realize, I don't think, realized it until little, until they had a smash hit in The Little Mermaid that um, it's re- it was really important to hold on to your IP and use it sparingly. Yeah, yeah. And they well, caught fire, I mean, when with their Snow White at the very beginning, and then it just kind of teetered out, and they, they made it back with The Little Mermaid, really. Well, I mean... There was hits in there. Oh no, I'd say they were pretty prolific up to about um, to Sleeping Beauty. Uh, yeah, they they were. I mean, my mom talks about you know back when she was. 
I, I, I hope she was older. I mean, I knew it was safer for kids back then, but <laughs> just sitting in the theater as they run the f- movie over and over again. Um, and Sleeping Beauty was the only one she really, uh, really had a relationship to. Um, so it, uh, they, I mean, Di- Disney had been working on this, all this stuff. I mean, all the way from 37, but by the six after by the seventies, they definitely didn't have anything. Um, it was being ran. The company was just being ran poorly. Yeah. In all honesty. I mean, I recently had a listen to a screen drafts podcast, which was about um, where they were ranking the top seven Walt Disney live action adventure movies from 1950 where it started with treasure Island to all the way up to uh, 1980. So, you know, they made it pretty implicit that Condor man was not going to make it on that. <laughs> I don't even know about that. I know mostly about that because my older sister was obsessed with uh, the fan of the opera. And when she gets obsessed with something, it goes into, and I'm going to be obsessed about the actors in it. So she had a big, oh, yeah, thing, for, big thing for Michael Crawford. I mean, that'll happen. That's just kind of the, some of the splash over from yeah. being obsessed with something. Well, I mean, I, I've joked about it with her on this pod. You know, well, it's the, the Asperger's help. <laughs> um, and I and I'm I'm a pretty obsessive person anyhow myself. So I, I get it. It's just, you know, I don't drive my. Well, that's an entire family dynamic issue. Not any, but nobody's nobody's problematic in my family. It's just that <laughs> fair. Um, with her her reserved nature, she really only had her family to talk to. So I was able to spin that off into book reports and without even having to read the books. She would just go on and on about oh, that's awesome. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and like, okay, well, and we had these reading assessment tests that uh, we you could earn prizes on. And I could just go, as long as you get 80% <laughs> on those, I could just, uh, I could just take it. So you're scamming uh, the system, Russ. Oh, you... well, I got a literature degree. I, I mean, literature was, ended up being my focus for my English major <laughs> to my uh, then... associates. And I can, um, no, I just watched Howard's End, the DVD. I seem to know more about it than the class, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm, uh, I, for an aspiring screenwriter, I am horribly read. No question about that. Um, but, but as long as you know the stories, like, yeah, sure. You should, I should read more for sure. I, I don't want to necessarily say you should read more, but you know, I, I feel like at least hearing the stories, even if it's secondhand counts for something. Oh yeah. No. Um, yep. Yeah, and I don't know. Sometimes it's weird though. Like I had a um, fifth grade teacher. She was a great teacher, but then I realized, eh, no, there, there's a lot of Christian indoctrination going in. She read through oh. all of the uh, Chronicles of Narnia, oh, and I boy. knew at twelve that yeah, this is actually you know I know this is an allegory for Christianity. I didn't realize right. that. Oh yeah, this is really kind of stuff that shouldn't be. <laughs> you shouldn't tell us that. We should figure that out on our own. I guess. And I'm all about context warnings, but uh, maybe not at school. Yeah, that, maybe just before Mark Twain's books. <laughs> I guess that um, that would be a, a fun just juxtaposition. Yes, but just go hard both ways. Right, but um, getting back around, I really would say that um, 
the, the when movies got adapted from TV shows, you actually have to look at it more of like this is when toy lines got adapted into movies. That's how it all started. Yeah. Um, you would actually probably say it was He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. That was the uh, first, um, the genesis of this. But it's all happened in 1985 um, with uh, He-Man and She-Ra, the um, quest for the sword, which is really, like, I could have, I could have, I was trying to figure out how to watch that. Turns out you have to watch it. Shira on stars and they cut the movie which is a very popular thing for these movies for these tv shows was to they, they, just they cut, cut the 90 minute movie into five episodes oh oh i see okay so it's like a mini series and not a movie per se no no it's a movie and then they chop it up yeah no yeah i understand series um because back in that day when it was solely syndicated a season was 64 episodes because you were showing yeah. showing one every day of the week you could throw that in there easy that's a week of episodes yeah well the first ducktales they debuted it with a movie and then you know once they got through the first cycle episodes and they just aired the movie but broken up um i mean it makes sense I, even i know um it's a directed dvd one but the the family guy Stewie movie that came out ended up airing his episodes. And I was always surprised that the Simpsons movie didn't end up doing that to my knowledge, at least. No, no, it hasn't. Um, well, the Simpsons and the Simpsons movie is an interesting case because they were watching that to, today too. Uh, I didn't, I didn't watch it today. I was kind of thinking, man, I thought it was going to be longer than longer than 90 minutes and uh, than a hundred minutes. Turns out, no, it just fits a lot of stuff in there. And I, you get that weird vibe with certain movies. You know it's good, but why does it feel like it's so daunting? Or yeah, I you know I thought both the Simpsons movie and the South Park movie were longer than they are. Yes, and I, it is because so much happens in the Simpsons. I think it's probably an issue because so much of it is just Homer being an idiot, which is just I mean that's what Simpsons is. Yeah, well that's what it that's what it became. I mean, well yes, yeah. yeah. In in 2007, for sure, that's what it was. Right. I mean, I can't say I've really, I definitely haven't religiously watched The Simpsons since the. Uh, I hate to say it, the see after um, the Mr. Burns who shot Mr. Burns. Yeah, I I don't think I have since I, probably been, 13, 14. Like right. I I used to you. love the DVDs. I, oh. I had the first six, seven seasons on DVD. I was mm. I loved it. Yeah, and I, I get that. I didn't uh, for somebody my age, we didn't have the DVD. Oh well yeah. Yeah. Um so so, to, so we so it wasn't a catching up or and Family Guy kind of Bennett Family Guy is solely still around because of DVDs. Well and I ha I actually was one of the people that heard the show was funny after it was canceled when the th the first three or first two first, sets of DVDs were out. Yeah, that's that's it was solely the videos. Right, they, they brought it back and yeah, I loved those first couple seasons back. But well, it wasn't the same. They're they're good for I'd say first hundred episodes are classic. Uh, yeah, I recently went through a but binged a few of the seasons just so I know what I could go and 
take over the disc replay yeah. if they ever start taking dvds again um and that's probably not going to happen for a while i'll just have to drive out to bloomington um but it's uh i'd still say like i really only got rid of maybe two or three of the seasons now i'm not totally caught up i'm not definitely uh for the simpsons you're saying no i'm saying for family guy for family guy right sorry right well i i collected them i did collect them for a while i have through like i think season 13 or 14 on dvd but i i realized that i just don't care about physical media anymore i i've got my blu-rays and my dvds i don't even have them out yeah. Uh, which is a shame i i hate that because i loved collecting these and then then one day something just snapped and i was like i don't want to deal with it. it was when i moved honestly it was when i moved right i didn't want to move all the stuff again um so i'm gonna end up going through them and taking out the you know like the james bond collection with everything the the star wars collection i'm gonna keep all that but i'm gonna get rid of the rest of it i think yeah i i don't uh I don't grab a lot of physical media anymore either i mean it's just i with the and i think the pandemic kind of killed phys, physical media yeah because, all right you know just just me Flipping going to buttons, best buy yeah. and seeing what was on the new release thing was pretty much what it, what would inspire a physical media per purchase i'm just not a fan of paying full price i'll pay don't get oh, me wrong i'm not gonna sit here and oh, steal no, movies I'm, I'm, but I'm still grabbing steel books. <laughs> I, yeah. Well, they're always good to get on the first day because yeah. you know, you're going to get them a little bit off, especially with the steel books. Yeah. And I, I'm glad I didn't get into steel books too much. And oh. it's because like, I've got a couple, like I've got the Deadpool steel book and whatever. I, they're cool, but so many of them, I don't like the designs on for yeah. movies that I like. So I just, I was like, I just don't need to get into this. Right. No, I'm, I'm not a, not a big steel book fan myself. And honestly, the only thing with collecting that I'm trying to um, do is, well, I recently got, finally got all the star Wars films on 4k with the exception of, uh, well, technically I have 4k versions digitally, but I don't have the physical copies of, uh, force awakens or, um, rogue one but i don't really see them doing screwing around with rogue one too much i just don't it's trust shame. Luke I like it. that movie i don't well i don't see them screwing around with it too much i don't oh yeah oh i see what you're saying they're yeah not basically what i'm saying is yeah they're not going to alter anything me but for me i like buy i have a ver i try to i'm trying to own every possible version of star wars basically i have a have the original um well i should watch my original um when they had a recent they had a release of the actual the original cuts on dvd briefly did they yes it was very brief i'd say 2000 i think they did it right after uh so it was a big deal for the dvds to come out in 2004 it was yeah the, was that when the gold pack came out for the yeah. special editions yeah i remember that right and then after 2005 when they finally dropped everything concluded with uh revenge of the sith and then i think um the next year 2000 2006 2007 they had a brief run of the original trilogy in the silver cases and that had one disc was the 
I remembered that from I, th I thought that was VHSs. No, no. Well, they had that. They had that too. Um, with the VHSs, I know on the special editions, the originals in '97. Oh my God, you are right. They had the silver with the gold. Oh, silver, silver for the widescreen. Yeah, and then for the standard. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, so yeah. So I have. I I get what I'm saying is I got to watch a New Hope just to see because the original. If this is the original print. It won't, say, it won't well I mean, what i'm saying is if it was from the original print it'll say star wars a new hope not star wars episode four. Oh, know. right they, yeah, added but... that, they added that in the first reissue which i mean they reissued i think quite i mean annually until empire so Man, that's a whole nother conversation yeah no uh, um right well you know there is something i wanted to mention about these movies to tv shows um real quick I, you know, going through these with the ones that I know, I, the ones that stick out to me are the ones that do something different than what the show is. Like the Simpsons went bigger and yes. that, that's, that's different than what the show is. So I'll give them that. Right. Um, I just like to say, um, when I ran this through, um, talked to my older sister last night, she was saying, well, I mean, they'd been trying to put a movie together since at least the uh, third or fourth season. Like Cramp Camp Krusty was an idea they were originally going to try doing for the movie. Well, and it's crazy that it took 17, 18 years for it to become a movie. Like, right. South so, Park did it in a year. Yeah, too. But yeah. Yeah. But it's. It, the but, South Park movie made it like it became a musical, which is what the sh the show wasn't that really up until that point. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Oh, they, they well, I mean, the entire idea was they had to go and be more over. I mean, even further over the top. Right. I mean, the entire the movie, the movie's called Bigger, Longer and Uncut, which is funny because that name came about from them being censored and yes. it's an even more offensive name than the one they were trying to get. I mean, offensive, not to me, but right. to some mm -hmm. vulgar might be the better word. Yes. But yeah. Uh, and what it comes down to is the, I think the absolute best are the ones that were uh, different that, did something you know you couldn't see on the show which yeah. kind of hurts the um the stewie Gr the stewie griffin the untold story because you kind of knew that was just going to get cut up into episodes if anything you, that was probably a was initially just going to be a right just test. smashed together yeah it was initially probably going to be a test to see if this family uh, guy audience that wasn't there in 1999 to 2001 um that suddenly bought all the dvds right and i think i think you could blame family guy probably for the advent of streaming television because yeah. <laughs> nobody nobody wanted to watch it live anymore oh that's true well they were watching the reruns on adult swim it was just the wrong place wrong time right um so but, you know, you want to go through the history of all this. It was really more about um, selling toys than any. That's how it all started out. I mean, He-Man would probably be the uh, first uh, He-Man and She-Ra Quest of the Sword, um, which was basically twofold. They were introducing the She-Ra toy line with this movie, and they were going to 
start the Shira Shira uh, Princess of Power series to replace He-Man. So, um, so that was just the transition, right? Now I made the mistake doing my research uh, and watched the Care Bears movie, which, um, <laughs> which again, uh, really. When you look at Wikipedia on that, they were saying that American Greeting Card Company, the one that created the Care Bears in 1981, were already planning on doing a movie back in, like the toys that the 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 bears were on greeting cards for in 81. Two years later, they got the toy, they got the bears, the toys, and then they had the movie. And the movie is really just uh, meant to introduce the Care Bear cousins. Right. Well, it's so you can sell more toys. Right. I used to love the Care Bear cousins, man. They yes. were the best. You've got the elephant. Yep. Uh, I can't re- can't recall his name right now. Um, yeah, I don't remember any of their names. Lots, I think it's lots of love. Uh, you know, it's crazy that Care Bears are still around. Oh yeah. I no, I keep meaning to go in uh, when you got a body like mine, which is basically uh, teddy bear dimensions. I keep meaning to go and get the grumpy bear uh, cloud. Oh, the onesie? Well, no, tattoo it. The grumpy bear cloud. Above oh, that's awesome. I just haven't gotten around to it. Well, I mean, which is weird when you, I've had that idea for a while and I have 33 tattoos. Um, but Man, I never I mean, the, and the film, but, but the rewatch was really interesting for me because I caught on to with the um, villain of it, the spirit from the magic book uh, or book of spells or whatever. Uh, like, damn, those dimensions are very much like um, straight out of heavy metal. And <laughs> Did they just take the same, like, oh, it's the same, same, same footage. Yeah. It's just the same studio. So before you had all of the, I mean, before you had the, syndication the saturday morning cartoon war between deke and nelvana which was the studio that did um care bears you had heavy metal i probably would you know so nelvana becoming pretty much a family product started with heavy metal and you can see that in some of the designs and i think it's a pretty well animated movie i mean it's a little bit on the cheap and um the songs are yeah, but that's that's part of the charm to it no no it's a very i think it's a pretty solid story i mean it until you until you get old and cynical about oh no you have to care about stuff <laughs> i'm gen x mother lovers i'm not <laughs> uh believe me listen to this podcast like last week's episode oh gosh um yeah I, i'm definitely feeling like little uh nicholas from that movie <laughs> uh but then it's um so but when then the next uh big toy movies i think that came out were transformers my little pony and gi yeah, joe went direct to video and again that was all about selling new lines of toys and i will well, that's what those cartoons were though too oh no i i get well as i say care bears movie came before the care bears cartoon show that's that was my mistake when I did all the research, oh, um, but it the it's still the fact is the same. Transformers, My Little Pony, and GI Joe that went straight to video were about getting ready to sell you new toy lines, and then it's just the juxtaposition because okay, Care Bears did it right, and everybody leaves happy. 
uh transformers the movie or i should say the transformers the movie which is actually a marvel project if you stick around and watch the credits i knew uh i knew orson wells was in it and Leonard orson Neeson, wells right? judd nelson is hot rod I didn't I, realize Judd Nelson was in it. Oh man! Yeah, no, it's quite uh, Eric Idle. I mean, it's quite a voice cast. They they went all out on it, and but it was just a very shocking movie. I do remember seeing that in cinemas, because they kill pretty much all the original Transformers in the first half hour. That's what I thought. Yeah, which resulted in uh, the GI Joe movie. Um, they were going to kill Duke. And they pretty much Just shot the death. Bad decisions. They shot the death scene. The death scene is in the movie. So he's got a spear shaped like a snake in his heart. He gets his uh he gives his last words, and then he's suddenly diagnosed with a coma. <sighs> like they had no. to they had to tell the kids, no, we didn't do what we did to Optimus Prime. <laughs> <laughs> had to backpedal man i mean i get it they they think that they can just kill them off make new ones and get new toys out there but it's never like especially when you're dealing with kids you can't just kill off their favorite people well by 1987 the toys are five years old you have crazy adults like myself who are are so attached to this you couldn't get away with it like there's still people who wouldn't see the Star Wars sequels trilogy because well they're just gonna kill off Han, Luke, Man. and Leia. Like, wow, that, you can't do that. the The movies aren't about C three T P O and R two D two. No, but they totally are. They're the only constant. It's true. They're the only ones in everything. Like, no, they didn't. They didn't. I, I'm kind of disappointed. Ron Howard couldn't figure out how, how to get him written into uh, Solo, but uh, I digress. Oh, Solo! What a what um, a movie! It ended up like it's get it's getting a strong. I think just all the negativity about the production um, hurt its box office because. I don't dislike it. People, yeah, no, more and more people are coming around to it once they give it a chance. But I, I, the dialogue is it, the the dialogue is what pisses me off. I'm sorry, uh, is what makes me no, so no, mad. No, no. You, okay. we, we, we 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 stayed away from f bombs on this podcast. <laughs> okay. We haven't dropped the c bomb yet, and I love the c bomb. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, I'm just I'm try. I don't I don't want to cross any boundaries no, no, no. here. We, we we can go we we can go PG thirteen here okay so uh or at least i've successfully successfully kept it at pg-13 that's fair i'm waiting for that one guy it'll happen i'm sure i hope it's not me that's all i'll say because i you know it's crazy that i haven't yet Mm -hmm. um just given how i normally talk what was i talking about i completely forgot i'm sorry the dialogue in um oh yeah It, it was just the dialogue was just so in your face and cheesy it's one of the same problems i have with suicide squad it you don't need to tell me everything well, you you don't need to say oh you're alone i guess you're solo that that is that is that was that was a stupid stu- i think that's really only stuff that's totally stupid otherwise i think the problem with the solo dialogue comes from the fact that we don't 
uh, we don't have that balance that the original trilogy and the sequels trilogy had of having non-Jedi characters. Like the prequels only problem, and I'm going to reiterate, only problem is that they don't have any Han Solo characters. Like we don't have only the- problem. I'm, 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 I, I don't I don't hate the prequels. I, I'm not I'm not a prequel hater here. Hayden Christensen's a crap actor. I don't like Hayden Christensen. I'll stick up for him. Or at least he was in oh, I mean Attack the Clones. Like Attack the Clones is a nightmare. Uh what happened? I mean with the Star Wars prequels, you had um the, there was horrible story structure, no question about that. And I mean uh, Tommy Wiseau could make more sense of that. Yeah. Um, like no, just just pick pick a time period. Like you could have gone with young, a teenage Anakin. You you we didn't need to see him as a kid just so you could get Liam Neeson. No, oh, but you had to do that, and you wanted to get the Jar Jar in there for the. Oh no, kids. you could have still got Jar Jar in there, but it like you could have figured a way to do that. It's just he didn't know what he was doing. He want he had. Like young Jake Lloyd Anakin, I shoot, I'm going, I'm gonna piss off a lot of people. Hey, the, the character deserved three movies. <laughs> like, you know, my name is Anakin and I'm a person. <laughs> well, and yeah, we needed two movies of him kind of getting a little angsty going through puberty and stuff. And so, I, I would have liked well, seeing him grow up into the role, but that yeah. just wasn't realistic. Well time time concerns and nobody this was before we were trying to figure out how to spin trilogies into um hexologies <laughs> i mean honestly they should have gotten a more preteen per a preteen kid to play him so he could have aged up in those six years it would have taken to release those movies yes well that yeah they could have but i mean it, it's just, I'm not upset with how they did it. I I like Hayden Christensen. I I'm not, I'm not questioning he's 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 a good actor. I'm just saying I Attack of the Clones. I can't you know. I think he's the reason Natalie Portman didn't. If that's who Nat, Natalie Portman's act, you know, like here, Natalie Portman is a great actress, but she needs great actors to work off of. That's true. You're not going to get that with Jake Lloyd. No, he wasn't ready for that. No, well, and he he went crazy from all the oh, yeah, no, he's he's which completely understandable, yes. man. Like, but he he wasn't he wasn't ready to act against Natalie Portman. Natalie Portman is definitely, I mean, you know, she had Jean Renault to act against in her first when she movie. Was a kid, yeah. So and then uh, Hayden Christensen, I think, handled the Star Wars movies like they were Twilight movies. Yeah, I would agree with that. He thought he was going to be a teen heartthrob. I don't know if that's what they... I think Taylor Lott... I don't know. Robert Robert Pattinson, I have not really seen any any Robert Pattinson. I'm going to be honest. Have you, I'll have get you around seen to the, Have you did. seen the Twilight movies at least? No, no. You oh, got I was, a man. I, I was railing against them um, back in um, junior college. I was writing pieces, uh, opinion pieces in my... Hey. Um, I used to be right there with you. I used and, to I used to want nothing to do with them. And when I finally gave in from uh, 
from my friend. He he made me watch them. I was not disappointed. I had a great time because I had such low expectations. Well, I just seeing seeing clips and seeing the long pauses between dialogue. It's like, yeah, I'm not I'm not up for three hours that <laughs> there's a lot of them too. Yeah. So and no, you can throw all the muse music you want at me. <laughs> this isn't nine inch nails. I will see about anything that uses nine inch nails in a trailer. I, I can hold um I can hold off on Muse. It's just because Muse is newer, but um so the if we get back I've not been as much of a fan of either. Uh, well, we get back to um what does it say with Transformers? That movie I mean it really tries th- this is trying to do a lot of stuff, but you can just tell how how okay, they put so much effort in getting voice voice actors and everything that everything else just ends up falling, going south on it. And, um, I mean, you piss off the audience right away and then you don't really, and you just don't have a strong film. I mean, you can't get away with playing The Touch by Stan Bush uh, three or four times. Um, <laughs> they tried, though. Yes, they did. <laughs> and I'm and after watching it, I was very upset. Like, okay, Hasbro brought ta- brought Sergeant Slaughter into G.I. Joe. Uh, which is the laziest thing they could have ever done. Um because you know, what ima- there's no imagination into putting Sergeant Slaughter. I mean, he's already established himself, maggots. Yeah. <laughs> um and true, and it's weird because Roddy Piper had a GI Joe made of him. Did he really? Yeah, yeah. There's so what, um, but you have a character called Hot Rod, and I don't want to badmouth Judd Nelson much. Uh, Fair. You have Hot Rod, <laughs> like, and once he once he becomes Hot Rodius Maximus, <laughs> no, he his voice should have changed too. You know. <laughs> you yeah, yeah. Hot Rodius Maximus doesn't sound like something that's going to be voiced by Judd Nelson. No, it should have been Roddy Piper. And he should have gone and gotten one of his catchphrases in. You know, just when you think you know the droid, <laughs> I change the transformer. <laughs> so that that's that that covers, I guess, our toy movies really. And then it comes to um, syndicated got real hot, like Disney. Cause it all Disney had a lot of successes syndicated uh, feature. I mean, shows I didn't watch the gummy bears, but I know Don't, was that Disney. I believe it was. I didn't uh, know yeah. I didn't watch the gummy bears. They, they had lightning in the bottle of tuck, duck tails, uh, tailspin, which, was, yeah, which I was going to say brought in Darkwing duck and then yeah, tailspin well, that, and the rescue Rangers, which yeah, I, I kind of want to, go and on disney plus and watch some rescue rangers i'm trying to figure out like okay the rescue rangers i can't recall if they actually because they lived in a tree i can't recall if they actually lived in a human-based reality or the so funny you should mention this i actually um i was trying to find out earlier while watching the ducktales movie if howard the duck was a part of the ducktales universe Uh, he's not but there has been a time where the four Disney cartoons have crossed over. So, of course, Darkwing Duck, DuckTales, they're in the same universe, but Tailspin and Rescue Rangers all came in 
to their universe. And this wasn't the um, drug PSA they had back. No, in- no, this was because um... there was the drug PSA in the early '90s, where all three networks put their Saturday morning cartoons together to, um, and then they aired it all at one time to be anti-pot, basically. Because it starts with pot, obviously. Of course um, it does. No, it starts with booze. <laughs> then you want to keep the party going and. Like if you're drinking and then you're smoking pot, that's just stupid. Not not to say that, oh great, I'm trying to do a PG thirteen rated rated podcast and I'm telling people how to do drugs when they're talking about cartoon <laughs> cartoons. <laughs> the point, like, I, I don't know. My mom I was visiting my parents yesterday. They were watching like how did Lucille Ball really die? And like Jeez. And you know they were talking about her doing uh, anal nitrate and yeah. and dexatrin and like yeah you just realize your mom didn't par- my mom didn't party a lot <laughs> like, <laughs> why would you have a coke problem what? you don't really have a coke problem when you drink and then you want to keep partying on that I digress <laughs> needless to say I think it was basically that cartoon was a lot like dare and it basically told us more about drugs than we really needed to know yeah and like I mean that's what a lot of these things a- like aimed at kids are hey stop it sorry cat yeah no no I'm, I'm just, I wouldn't be surprised if you heard skim rat skimble ravaging through some bags earlier Dash likes to come up and scratch at the back of my computer chair, which I try to not have him do because it's not cloth, but... Uh, yeah. You no, know, Skimble is big on destroying molding. I still haven't heard back from my previous apartment. Like, No, jeez. I mean, we had about $1,000 in deposits there. I can understand not getting any of it back, but it'd be <laughs> nice to hear from them, you know? Yeah, well, at least find out what they spent the money on. Yeah, well... I, I saw. Well, I, I, I mean, the I, I drove by there. I drove by there. I think they were replacing all the carpet, which isn't so, like you know you got to charge me for cleaning, but replacing carpet. I mean, I got a deal on this apartment because oh, there's a red stain in your bedroom. Oh, good deal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah. So, um, and there was a shooting at one of the buildings a few weeks ago, but eh. um, that's all a champagne. Though. Yeah, yeah, champagne's a lot like how they describe los angeles there's just suddenly poor spots <laughs> yeah well and it's like i've never had problems in any of these spots and i've lived in some pretty dicey places yep. within the area and i've never like i've always been welcomed so right oh no and that's always been nice like i it, i don't feel unsafe here but i get why people would yeah yeah so um but so with the uh yeah, rest. So I'm. So I get. I get a little thrown off with Rescue Rangers. Tailspin was all right. I mean, it just really felt weird. I mean, Robot Chicken tackled Tailspin pretty well. <laughs> um, I don't remember what it, they did for it. Oh, basically, um, what's the name of the bear? Baloo. Yeah. Yeah. Baloo is actually it's some kind bear of bear from uh... Jungle Book. All yeah. the characters except for, I mean, Shay Khan is your corporate evil guy and of course he's... i guess i didn't realize that it was all the characters from jungle it, most of them so louis louis uh shah khan and uh and baloo otherwise I... yeah everything the lion and everything else that was new 
I had the, I had a tailspin video game on my Game Gear. Oh, I, I think Sega I Game Gear. I think I got that on my PS4 actually. <laughs> um, just downloading the um, Disney classics. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, so you got Ducktales, <laughs> Ducktales Two, Rescue Rangers, and I think it's either I think it's Tailspin. Um, no, they were all. I I think Ducktales is really the only and and Darkwing Duck because it's a duck t- you know spawn from ducktales i think they yeah that was really the se- series but you know the success is allowed for goofy and i know i have not seen the goofy movie i have a uh oh, goofy movie is fantastic ah uh, you see i just uh Polly shore and i i i've got history with that guy <laughs> uh it was at big owls <laughs> one night he was performing at the jukebox comedy club in P- west peoria he's there he's just wearing a hoodie I never understood the weasel and um, <laughs> and all the girls who a lot of them are younger than me, obviously. I mean, that's probably okay, sure. I'm 24, 25 at that time, but um, you know, they're going, Oh, it's just, Oh, Polly shore, Polly shore. And I said, it's just a B celebrity in a hoodie. <laughs> and I didn't see Polly shore the rest of the night. <laughs> that's fair. So I, I kind of feel, I kind of feel like I um, succeeded in something there um you tell that the i don't mind the guy so much though i mean no I, I i get it but he was nothing anymore nothing at that time i mean he may have just had Polly shore is dead is not dead um i didn't understand the show i didn't understand and gosh i got another story about a girl i was trying out she was way too young for me but you know i'm hanging out with her trying watching bad movies with her you know, I watched Hudson Hawk and Biodome and didn't even get a handy out of it. Jeez. <laughs> so oh, the things I'll do. Um, I do look Granted, I had a blackout me. situation, cracked my head over some molding, probably had a concussion. She did. Oh, she did take care of me pretty well. So I'm not. It's just so, not the way you hoped. Well, I'm not saying I really. No, I mean me. I'm a. Ro- I wasn't going to pressure in the hand. No, I'm not trying to say you were, but it's like ah, now a lot of friend zone BS with that one, serving as a bodyguard for sketchy situations. Oh, but, I mean, at least she's got somebody she can go to, or had right. somebody she oh, can go yeah. to for that. Right, but you know, I should be. And no, it's all. It's really all my problem. I should have. You know. It's fair. Yeah. Oh no. I mean, it's just basically me going like, you know, bringing up cartoon characters. It's kind of like the Pepe Le Pew thing. Now, Pepe Le Pew is not a rapist. He's too incompetent to be a rapist. And that's yeah. what's fun. That's what fu- that's what funny about it. It's it's a fine line though. I mean, it. I, you're right. It is cartoon, and he's not. He's just not. But. He doesn't, say, he doesn't understand these stinks. Right, right, right. And I can I, I definitely think that that's obvious, right? Like I it's pretty clear to see, but so many people could take the wrong things. Oh, no, it's, they beha- don't have it's, those. it's behavior. Like, even if you are God's gift and you smell like you know, lavender and cupcakes, you're not supposed to it's yeah. no means no. And I mean, I don't know. I probably would have been a better person if I wasn't trying to get the same girl throughout junior high and high school, you know? Yeah. Well, we've all been there. Yeah. We've, we've all been there, but I think it's better that we start teaching kids. Yeah. Lay off that man. 
No, I agree. I definitely agree. One, it's God. I don't want them to have to take as long as it took me to learn that. You know. Yeah. Like, not that I ever pressured oh. any. Yeah. Oh no. I mean, as I say, I've never <laughs> pressured just, anybody, but I never. No, but to quit to get them out of my head. Yeah. But uh, now that I think about all that, though, it's like. Um, I don't know, cutting him out, cutting him off the uh, Toon Stars lineup in Space GM two. You need that smell. That's great defense. <laughs> what a bit. And just, just oh, it didn't do too well in the first movie. Oh uh, well, talking about spinoffs of TV. <laughs> uh, that's true. Space Jam. Uh, I mean, I don't know why that's so beloved. It's just so many so many bad ideas <laughs> i mean i i love it man i love it and i'll tell you why i was what five when that came out i think yeah i think 96 and, so uh, six yeah michael jordan was huge oh you yes. know the world loved him i loved him i didn't know any better i'm a six-year-old kid in illinois bulls fan i love the looney tunes because again and i can't emphasize this enough i'm six but even going back and watching it, seeing Bill Murray pop up, seeing oh. even Wayne Knight in there, like I just have such a fun time with it, even though nothing makes sense. No, no, especially. And we can go. I think um, my mom was complaining about Pepe Le Pew being canceled. And it's like, you know, I think the bigger complaints were about the people complaining about Lola Bunny getting a breast reduction. I've seen all the people that are so upset about yeah, that. I just can't believe I mean, one, I can't believe it. One, she's a bunny. She should have three sets. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Like, why are you like, I was 16. Maybe you thank God I, I was that old. So I'm focused on real women. <laughs> Sports yeah. swimsuit issues. I don't need I, I don't need my sexuality <laughs> discovered through furries. <sighs> Um, I don't know. I mean, only sorry. I accidentally only... muted my mic. I'm back. Okay. Well, as as I said, I don't. I don't need my sexual awakening to be based around furries. Um, no. and uh, I mean, the only real animated character I got into. Well, I did watch it. I did start watching anime shortly after Space Jam. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, before that, it was just Chun Li Sprite from. Uh, the original Street Fighter 2, the World Warrior. I was not a fan of the Super Street Fighter 2 update of her. <laughs> but I, I, get so I guess I understand these people angry about Lola Bunny, but... I don't know. I don't get it. Come on. Get, grow up, guys. Yeah. Come on. It's 2021. Right. Um, you know, speaking of anime, though, that's a whole other section of, of shows that went to movies. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of them wouldn't qualify though because they do for my website because uh, I like to set the rules for the website. Blog's different because it's got to be simpler, seventy-five to ninety-nine. Um, the website uh, ninety4chill.com. If yeah. I'm writing a review for something, I occasionally make an exception for one thirty-eight, and that's more of a misfits joke. Um, otherwise, it's one thirty-seven. <laughs> but like I've seen most of the Sailor Moon. Um, movies and they're all an hour macross seven i got the bootleg of that back in 98 yep 
for the movie. I figure, oh, that'll be a great introduction. No, it's a half hour movie. Let's <laughs> like, <laughs> so. see. I was um, my first. I mean, I didn't even really know anime until Pokemon, which I was in the first wave of Pokemon video game cards, all that. Yeah. When that movie came out in theaters, we saw it opening night. I had a blast. I oh, I went loved to. It. I went to see it three times. A lot of it's just to get those Mewtwo cards, but yeah, I actually I had still had my from the movie that I I gave it to my nephew for Christmas because it Mew's his favorite Pokemon. Yeah. I was like, hey, you know what? I don't need this anymore. You can have it, bud. Yep. Um, but yeah, that um, Yu-Gi-Oh! I know was big when I was younger. I was never huge into Yu-Gi-Oh! No. It, it was just after my time, but I think that actually did come out in the theaters in the U.S. Maybe, maybe Yu-Gi-Oh! I know Digimon did. Digimon definitely did. And um, Dragon Ball Z one never did except for the um, Battle of the Gods and Resurrection App Limited. Events. Right, and those were more Fathom event stuff. Right, that's exactly what it was. It was like three-day things yeah now uh, in japan all the movies came out in theaters the dragon ball ones oh oh yeah i'm now i've got uh i mean i've i love the tenchi muyo movies um oh yeah oh i haven't thought of those in forever my yeah. friend showed me those in high school mm. well so i mean that's just a, again it speaks for my age like i'm not as crazy as i was about anime just because it's not as challenging. It, like the challenge is gone for me. I was mowing lawns every week to get 25 bucks to buy a $25 one hour long VHS tape. Oh yeah. So month. much money for those. And then tapes. once it, once it got on television, it's just, Oh no, this is too easy. These kids have it too. <laughs> it's like me with the PlayStation five. Like we got to get, over the pandemic just so we can have lines at stores before they open yeah that's how you earn a earns miles morales man i wish i cared about a ps5 i'm just a tech i'm just i really don't play enough video games anymore in all honesty it's just more about it's the next thing and at some point i'm going to you're gonna you know the there's gonna be video games you want to play and you're gonna need them yeah no that yes. makes sense yeah well, and i i just have my computer so it's like it's pretty up to date it'll be fine for a little well, bit longer and i i think the switch is honestly the system that everybody should buy but well, i love my switch too yeah so so we're going uh through we're up to um ducktales um and you know the movie and you know thank god i realized zoom as long as you only have two people you can talk all night oh uh, that's good yeah um you know, DuckTales, the movie, you can see real bits like early on. And it was actually pr- done by Walt Disney Studios, France. So. I noticed, okay, because when I started the movie, I was like, man, this looks incredible. Yeah. And then it, it got to a point where I was like, this looks like the show. Yeah. But I mean, anything with Christopher Lloyd has promise. Uh, with, oh, the, with the exception, I think, of Dennis the Menace. But um because of him he scared the crap out of me i'm sorry sorry i forgot i wasn't at my mic i forgot that i have my airpods in and i'm so used to being able to talk that way i'm an idiot no worries um (laughs) i love dennis the menace but i uh he scared the crap out of me in that movie yeah well um i think that's the 
only real way to keep the cynical invested is at least he's he's not quite Judge Doom, but he's loved him in Page Master. Uh, you know, I haven't seen Page Master. Uh, that's the classic story of uh, my mom thinking my older sister's prize winning fourth grade story which was basically the same as page master jumping through books and such yeah and then then we have my relationship with macaulay culkin anyhow i was a professional child model slash actor at the time in chicago why did he get the john hughes movies that's <laughs> still gonna know, man yeah. yeah i get it i get it yeah but uh I don't know. It would just be good for my, my, uh, my uh, pro wrestling zombie Z comedy, Z budget Z comedy. <laughs> if if I had that little bit of celebrity cred, you know, right? I've watched so much bad, so many bad movies that um, Allie from Allie's Accessory Shop <laughs> keeps giving me. She's probably deserves a producer credit on this podcast. <laughs> uh, like. And I eventually realized, oh God, the room isn't that bad. <laughs> oh no, compared to a lot of movies out there. Yeah, um, I, but it's like, how are these people getting anybody supporting them? <laughs> you wonder it's why a crazy I, thing, right? Like, wonder, like you wonder why I have self-esteem issues, alienation, and all this other bollocks. Like, <laughs> these people just get these movies made, and nobody's saying anything. I know, but who the heck is saying, you know what? Yeah, we'll put $10,000 behind that. Yeah, here, have some more money. Yeah, I, no. <laughs> yeah, go make your movie about a Velocipaster, which it's Velocipaster. not fair of me to call up because that movie's amazing. Yes, yes. No, we're does not qualify for 90 for chill. No, no. 71 yeah. minutes. But no, that is that was uh, the finest work of meta cinema I'd say thus far, I mean, at least in the last decade. But there's so many out there that try and capture that and just get it wrong. And and it's like, how are you still allowed to do that? Like, who's who's letting you, who's giving you the money to do this? Yeah, no. Well, you see, it's the, my problem is, okay, that, that, that I'm all right with. Uh, I mean, at least you're trying something um like so oh, i'm fine with it i just want to know who's making who's oh, letting them do it yes no um and every now and then you get it well i mean every now and then you get a good asylum movie i i'd recommend dead men walking um but okay. uh then you get uh but these it's like the movie i saw i talked about last, on last week's podcast from uh, ali's accessory shop on etsy's trash movie review um eternal damn nation um like no you're just trying to do it you're like you're trying to do a biblical horror movie uh, with with cg glass like if, if you had a gimmick i mean birdemic sucks because the director took it too seriously yeah um but you know he if he didn't it could have worked you know well, that's that's the thing about Birdemic. It's like it's it's a few short steps away from working. Um, yeah. The biggest one to me is fixing the audio in that because it's oh, a nightmare. But yeah, solar panels. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but um yeah with uh we're getting back to ducktales uh i mean you do see a fall i mean it's basically they get it did enough to make it look look um kind of that in between little mermaid and i mean and the and ducktales yeah i mean it certainly didn't look cheap but it it looked way better at the beginning and it was to the point where i was really confused because the rest of the movie was just normal yeah well i think they they were a little more solid on the lines and shapes and stuff they they put a little more effort in but yeah it's outside of your set piece which you know i mean once once you get back to duckburg it's kind of like well we have these we have these backgrounds and to already use (laughs) i mean save money that way yeah um but the funny thing about ducktales though it is basically aladdin yeah well that's all i noticed while watching or it was it's aladdin with them trading who gets the next wishes well not 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 just that it's more of the how the movie ends is like yeah. and how you are to relate to the to the genie knowing that he's got a raw deal like i don't know i have not watched enough genie and the magic lamp movies i suppose to you know does does the genie really want more talent hey <laughs> like well, and see, that's that's kind of the the question of what does freeing him mean. In the Ducktales, it's a little bit different because he was actually turned into a boy. Which, yep. I mean, I, I imagine if you're a genie after so many years, you'll, yeah, you'll take you any. Might, I mean, yeah, yeah, you might want to die. Well, I don't think we ever think that. I don't think kids are supposed to think that far. I think it's just supposed they want to, to live a normal life. The freedom of not. You know, oh, uh, yeah, and yeah, I can go and destroy, cause biblical destruction on yeah. somebody's, some bitter person's whim. <laughs> like, um, but that's, but see, that's what ranges or what raises questions about the genie and Aladdin getting set free because he was just set free, still a genie. That guy could go mess up the world if he wanted. Yeah, well. I don't know. I mean, it's it's weird, weird, weird for me also because I did not know anything about Rip Taylor, the voice of uh, Genie. Uh, rest in peace, Rip. Uh, <laughs> Rip. Rip Taylor, which Genie? Oh, in the show. Oh, that was Rip Taylor. Yeah. Oh my God! Of yep, course yeah, I, it was. I heard it and I didn't look it up, and I knew I should have. Well, the only thing I know Rip Taylor from otherwise is um, Wayne's World Two. Uh, I know him from that and uh, Jackass, actually. Well, he's shown up on WWE too, but you know, just throwing buckets of confetti and like. But that—that's how I was introduced to him yes. as a kid, at least, and it made me become aware of him. Yeah, yeah, it's like, but um, but uh, yeah, when it comes to Disney, I mean, they eventually, as you brought up. You, you had um, Recess, you had Goofy, as I say, and I told you my story about the Goofy stuff. It's just more or less like, well, I don't know. It's I didn't watch the Goofy TV show either. So it's yeah, I of... didn't. I didn't either. And I, I will say, like, I like the, the movies, but I don't think they're the next best thing. Like, they're similar to Space Jam. Like, I enjoy Space Jam. I don't think it's the best thing out there. I enjoy the Goofy movie, a uh, Goofy movie. I don't think it's the best thing out there. Well, I um, know. It just it just seemed to have gotten a, I think, 
I don't know if it's gen, I mean, millennials just holding on to, I mean, I guess it's kind of like me. Well, I'm at the very end of Gen X, but uh, I don't know. It's maybe we just want to hold on to our childhood is why. Well, and I, I think the movie has such a positive message about family and being there for somebody that I, the older we've gotten, the more we see how good of a dad Goofy is in that movie. And I think it makes people become even more attached to it. And I get it. The movie has a great message to it. And and Goofy is a pretty good dad throughout, or at least he's trying to be. I mean, he's Goofy. <laughs> right. He's got to get into some yucks, you know? Yeah. Um, but... I just yeah, it, that Goofy and Bluto are the only Disney characters you know that have ever shagged. <laughs> it's true. I mean, What's also weird to me that Goofy's a dog and and uh, what Pluto is Mickey's dog. Yeah, uh, they again that's been addressed on Robot Chicken. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, they they um, intervention at a dinner um, for Goofy and what is it Maribel. <laughs> the cow i think i think i remember that one yeah well because he's a, like your parents are fine with this why wouldn't they because he's a cow <laughs> well what i don't see any other dogs around well there's pluto over there i won't dignify that with an answer <laughs> <laughs> uh and then it goes into a bunch of you know eventually ends up with a disney hitler joke of course hey i you know i don't don't think that i don't think that ever gets old that'll ever get old <laughs> i don't think it will either this man i can't believe it i mean i i can because i've grown up knowing it but yeah and um but when it comes to the uh nicktoons i guess for me by that point um i mean i watched rugrats rugrats is austin i'm not a big doug fan but uh i love doug i never saw the movie though i still haven't seen the movie i didn't i yeah now now i recall there was a movie but i was never ne never big big in the dog i was on ren and stimpy because it was so crazy and i did love ren and stimpy and uh rugrats because the humor is so just straight up genuine well especially at the beginning it was very yeah duck uh doug on the other hand is you know trying to be degrassi uh uh, cleaned up version of Degrassi. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it and Doug, I, I just really liked it as a kid because it was cool to see all the the different characters. I, I don't know how to explain it, but oh, I just really enjoyed the aesthetic to the show and how it did it. But once Disney took over the license to it, I didn't really like it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a general consensus. I mean, that was part of the, um, I think when, that was part of SNCC, you know, so yeah, how much you were remember that, like my older I, sister I do remember SNCC. would love to watch Roundhouse. Uh, Fred the Dark was on it. Yeah, so I think the original lineup was actually Ren and Stimpy. So I don't think Doug was ever on SNCC. I think they pretty much made SNCC because of all the Ren and Stimpy problems, so they had to go and try to make it look yeah. more mature. And then I don't know. I just kind of uh, lost. I, I guess I just just was uh, just on the tail and everything. I didn't really like. You had um, Pete and Pete, but you're not seeing me jump at all at, at all that or 
Well, and that's and that's right where I was coming in, right? Like I I remember Pete and Pete, but all that at the very beginning was when I came into it. I never got into the Amanda show uh, or anything like that, but uh, I the Rugrats were huge for me. Mm -hmm. Rocco's Modern Life. Oh, that's Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, Rocco's got away with so much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, The first first episode, he's working as a sex. Phone, phone sex operator <laughs> yes. oh baby oh baby oh baby <laughs> but even those first round of um cartoon cartoons on cartoon network with johnny bravo and powerpuff girls and dexter's lab like yeah cow and chicken like that was my right i was like seven or eight when all that was happening yeah it was perfect for me right i, I always I, wanted like a cow and chicken movie i loved that show oh i you see i only really dealt with cow and chicken because it tried it, it tried to be too in the middle like yeah hey, we're gonna do some red and stimpy type imagery but it's not gonna have the context or the yeah, it's uh, not gonna hit the nas- same. nastiness um while you know i really stuck around for ir but uh, i am reason weasel <laughs> yeah uh from that i mean i really dug the getty tartakovsky stuff um i really i'm weasel started in what powerpuff girls i think no i think that was part of uh i think that was part of um uh was it angry beavers no angry beavers nickelodeon Um, oh you're right so no i think um i i i am weasel was part of cow and chicken oh you're right you're right it was uh, part of cow and chicken because dexter had the monkey right girls had the justice friends or whatever right yeah um shoot i can't remember the name of the monkey i think it was just monkey monkey i i think so i mean i'm pretty sure it was just monkey, just monkey yeah yeah <laughs> um would did johnny bravo have one do you remember i i don't I, I didn't really watch johnny bravo which is like we were talking about that at the bank um yeah when's he gonna get canceled and again oh he's, he's, he saw a meme that was him sweating because he knows <laughs> <laughs> i mean he you know he's just like again peppy at least had the smell issue <laughs> well johnny's always been a bit um yeah abrasive right um but so i mean it just came to a point where i again i was starting to watch anime and yeah as a 17 18 year old i was looking for uh 2d boobs and such <laughs> of course. i mean akira give me that graphic violence <laughs> you know um what a movie i mean yes oh no it's definitely top five i would um i'd probably go um i prefer Howl's moving castle but i'd probably say spirited away is the better film i haven't seen any miyazaki films oh um they just seem like such a chore oh well just uh well i mean you don't have to necessarily go to uh miyazaki um the cat returns is a great entry point it's only 75 minutes um it's not miyazaki but you got carrie it's carrie always as a suave is the suave baron cat tim curry is the king of cats Andy, oh, that's all you had to say right there. Yeah, and Andy Richter voices a voices a um like the uh um 
The cat's uh, voices the uh, representative of the king, <laughs> king cat. Like, okay, Peter okay, Boyle. I'll... Peter Boyle is a fat, just this fat cat. <laughs> uh, I'm like, in. Yeah. I you've sold me. You've sold me, and I will give that a try. And if I enjoy it, I will watch uh, Howl's Moving Castle. And well, how um Princess Mononoke actually is probably a better entrant point just because of the. But that's the, that is the I think when you we were mentioning anime, anime either goes too the anime either goes too short or <laughs> way too long. long. Yes, yeah. that's actually something I think it comes with just the sheer concept of adapting anime or manga. Like uh, me, me, Takashi Miike's um, Blade of the Im- Immortal adaptation, um, runs a little long, gets a little gets a little dull but i think it's because they wanted to capture everything from the manga um, which i i get i, you I, know. I get the idea but it kind of goes back to um battle angel uh alita battle angel um i think it's i think it's a three and a half star movie maybe even a four uh it's beautiful the problem is that i'm familiar with the manga and the anime and like no no we could have uh we could have made some adjustments the story in that was not that great well and that's and it's, not, and it's not james cameron's fault <laughs> he just did what he loved it so i it's people that that don't genuinely love these properties that are getting behind them um and they just don't put the care into it it's well i mean you go back to transform the transformers the movie right and bring up michael freaking bay well even that the first one was at least fun but but you see especially okay if we're talking transformers i know we don't need to get into it super much but bumblebee is a love 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 letter letter yeah love letter to transformers fans and that was perfect you you gave the property to somebody who cared about what the fans think and about the the source yeah and we got something amazing from it Mm -hmm. so you're right like we do need more people that are gonna care about it and put the work into it and not just arbitrarily change things i mean sure things will have to change anytime a story changes mediums, but make the right decisions Yes. for the character yeah now i'm not uh ghost in the shell is just a little too too off on what the what the idea you know i never saw the the it, scar joe version i not, i saw the anime the first anime movie yeah. and i wasn't blown away by it or i oh. didn't really have a great time with it oh no it's 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 a it's a bait and switch it's um it's not really action driven it's about it's a um and this is the problem. This, I guess, you'd say, is the problem with anime is the fact that it's, it's a interpersonal story. Um, you're not gonna, you're really not gonna get a lot of action. It's a story about somebody trying to discover themselves. You know, you're right though. I did definitely did come into it thinking that it was an action thing. Well, you, I should, I should rewatch it. Yeah, with that mindset. Right. It's just, um, yeah. It's not. Um, no, it's a story about self-discovery. They try, and they just didn't want to go and, and they just didn't think it would fly for the ScarJo version. Um, and then they tried giving people backstories who didn't need backstories. Oh, it, it's it was, it was a 
I think it was Chinese money actually funding it. So I guess, you know, after the atrocities of World War II, I guess I'll give it to them. <laughs> but, um, There's been like 17 different versions of Ghost in the Oh, show I'm too. so lost. I, I, I cut a few episodes of Standalone Complex and they look awesome. They mm, really intelligent well, and- stuff. But that's something that I've loved about that series or or that uh, that's always dragged me to is how it looks like they've all of it looks fantastic. I just wish I cared more about what it was doing. Right. I get that. Um, So that's uh, shoot. Now we're talking about all this. It's like, oh, crap. I haven't actually watched the My Hero movie. Have you seen Teen Titans go to the movies? Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't think about it. What a fantastic movie, first off. Stan Lee in a DC movie. I mean. Hilarious. Yeah. The movie itself, I think, does what the Simpsons movie does well. And it takes its bite-sized antics and makes them huge for mm. the whole movie i i bought this movie on a whim for like 10 bucks thinking whatever i'll buy it i've heard it's pretty good i'll yeah. watch it and i watched it and i felt immediately and very strongly about this that i had to show this movie to everybody oh it's i bought it i i mean i rented it i think from red box and then i ended up um like oh, I'll buy this for my nephew. I'll buy the blue the Blu-ray DVD combo pack. I'll take the DVD out of it. Um, they give him that to his birth for his birthday. Sure, you know I think it's fair. Did that with Wreck It Ralph, I think too. Um, but it was like just the I I really I I used to jump on my um sister and brother-in-law about. So have you watched the movie with them yet? Because I really want to be there. I like. I want to be there when the last line of dialogue is dropped. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I, uh, it's for a different time. Oh, geez. I um. I didn't watch the show at all before the movie. Uh, it, it's it's good noise. Um, well, I I've watched it since. I yeah. but so I I loved the original Teen Titans. Oh, yes, that's, and that it was, was my big problem with Teen Titans Go. Like, where... agreed. I had no idea that it was as funny and as fun as it was because mm. I have since gone back and watched episodes, and I have a blast every damn time I put it on. Yeah, it's. I mean, the Tooth Fairy episode is. <laughs> I mean that doesn't sell you on it. I don't know what will. Yeah, it's um. Never mind. Just, it's it's just the like. I think that is. Um, I don't know. I knew there was a time where you at least had. There, there feels like there there was a time where you at least had. Um, I don't know. Maybe it was actually more of a 60, 60s thing where you you had to um recognize that parents need to might might not be invested they need some jokes for them like i think that was a very hanna barbera thing yeah you might be right about that i'm just i i mean they were all although i'm sure there was some in looney tunes yeah right but that's all tv stuff i mean at least well i guess you'd say looney tunes those were shorts before films but um 
Rugrats is, was a big one that that perfected the adult yes. joke in a kid joke. Right. And I think we kind of had I think Disney kind of got away from that. Yeah. I mean, Disney's had, always been more family friendly. But they they had a time like you get that occasionally with uh, Robin Williams, of course. Well, you can't control and, that man. Yes, true. Um, but I'm thinking more along the lines like there's no way the kids should get when they hit the um, Michael Bolton character in <laughs> Teen Titans Go. There's no way the kids should understand. I think his dad's a cop. <laughs> <laughs> and your superheroes flee <laughs> the scene. I mean, it's so good. I mean, I I still can't believe that they were able to take their what i'll call an add style because yes it, it's very it's like that's something the Simpsons family guy on south on park did, right that's something the south park and Di, uh simpsons didn't have to deal with no yeah. no and it's it's fast paced it's ridiculous it does not take itself seriously and it tells you that and it's it doesn't pretend to be something it's not like I only hated it because it wasn't the show that I loved and yeah. that was wrong of me. Yeah. And no. Since, we do. Yeah. I was just, since I've given it a chance, I'm so happy. Yeah. We do have, we do have to, like, we really, uh, we talked about it with uh, my older sister on the um, episode where we were pretty much were just going against young kids who were saying, uh, and, I'll, and I'll say it again. I think it's just Gen Z's who, want to claim an identity hence they don't watch movies made before 1975 because oh it's all about just celebrating the white man Jeez. and and like there's, no it's like before that i mean but or you know the fact well they didn't have their effects perfected or anything it's like no give me i'm not a fan of little shop horrors but give me practical seymour over Oh, heck yeah. Well, I think that's why the 80s are such an interesting time for, for movie making, too. It's because it's when practical and computer effects were being mixed more and more. Well, and everybody. Was, I'd say that was actually more the 90s. I mean, the problem the problem the 80s suffered was that movies were costing way too much to make because you had to depend on practical. So it was so much easier for a movie to bomb that's well yeah that's true one and there were so many ambitious ideas oh yeah no i'm already got on about we i i think i said my piece a while ago that uh like um because i thought when my sister got me into that that concept that discussion about like oh people saying like you you know you just don't don't bother with these old movies citizen kane sucked like don't bother with these old movies because they're just not you know we have something better now so yeah um but I think even before that, when we were talking about uh, my older sister and I were talking about uh, Bee Fest, the um, Bee Movie Festival Northwestern has annually. Um, basically, the entire point of 90forchill.com, the podcast, is that uh, you don't like until you. The point is to just get stuff made, and 90 minutes is a good is a good tar- 90 to 100 minutes is just a good target. Otherwise, you might have too much stuff. Um, well, you can't and, overthink it, right? Right. And with 90thechill.com, the podcast, uh, the website, I have reviewed like Kickboxer Resurgence. Kickboxer Vengeance is a 90 minute movie. 
kickboxer is a hundred and ten minute, but that's be I, I I let that pass because it established itself. Like, were they really gone for a franchise? Right. <laughs> when they released Vengeance, I don't think so. <laughs> then they re, then they were trying to go for a trilogy. I'm still waiting for Kickboxer Apocalypse, but I, I digress. <laughs> it's only time. The point of the matter is matter time. Yeah, the point of the matter is okay. You're expanding your universe. You get more time. And I think the problem right now with cinema today is that uh, we're so caught up on established properties that, yes, I mean, that I, in a way, warrants the extra runtime, say, of your. Well, I would even argue, though, we are in a dangerous, risky territory for runtimes right now. Um, because I don't know if you feel this way, but I, when I watched Wonder Woman 1984, I felt like every scene was longer than it had to be. And I, am, it, I didn't get around to Wonder Woman 84. Um, oh my gosh, it's a nightmare. Um, but I, I, I've heard I've heard both sides of I've heard both sides of it. it it's not there's no middle ground on that one. I, I'm really worried that with these direct to streaming movies, which don't get me wrong, I'm very happy for, but I'm worried that they're going to give certain directors more leeway that maybe shouldn't have that leeway i i don't know it, it's the argument of you giving yourself enough rope you're gonna hang yourself, hang yourself you know with, right yeah it's and i think that is at least in the case of wonder woman 1984 she just took too much time to think about it and edit it and didn't have the the studio constraints that she might not have otherwise and it shows like everything every scene i'm just like are we are we moving on yet like are we still here and and i'm really worried because i got a little bit of that in tom and jerry not a whole lot but a little bit and mm. now this is 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 warner bros specific at this point but i'm i'm at least going to be vigilant of it because i'm not going to sit here for a two and a half hour movie if it's going to be just scenes that are three four minutes longer than they need to be okay yeah no that's that's very that's very warranted but i would say though at least wonder woman after a successful first film and tom and jerry you know 70 years of entertaining kids you at least have they at least have prove they that people will eat it up regardless oh, of the yeah. runtime. Oh yeah. That, that's what I'm getting. That's kind of what I'm getting at. And if unless sure. you so and I'll I, I kind of forgive comic book movies because everything's built around creating a franchise. So you got to get everything done in your movie to set up for the next movie. Yeah. Because once um, you take a bite you're gonna want another. Well but the the point is if you're not if you don't have original ideas you should. Uh, it is totally about. Um, you go and make it too long, over. I'd say over a hundred minutes. You, like, like you, you. John Wick is barely over a hundred minutes, and. See, I, I'll t personally, I'll take a two-hour movie. I'm, I'm fine with two hours. Mm -hmm. No, if there's I... no reason, unless it's unless it's an epic book. Yeah. There's, no reason you should be over two and a half hours. Oh, oh, uh, there's no, agree. there's no reason you should even be thinking about two and a half hours. Uh, and if you are going to, maybe just release it as a mini series. Well, that's I, I don't know. I that's get a whole other pacing argument. Yeah, too. I get yeah. worried about that because so many things I think are going to be like I, 
I don't know. I think people after WandaVision, I think everybody was going to try figuring out how to, because television series are still cheaper than movies. Yeah. And um, everybody's going to be trying to figure out how to turn something into a series. I mean, heck, my next pilot, I mean, the next project, writing project, I really need to get work to work on. I'll acknowledge that is a television pilot. And uh, I mean, the That's beauty fun. of that is you can end it when you're either told to end it or end it on your own terms. But um, I, I prefer, I prefer cinema. I prefer my, I don't, I don't need all this long-term storytelling. I, I'm, I'm fine with both, right? Like I, I think there's a place for both and I, I do like the longer form storytelling personally, but it, WandaVision kind of towed the line for me because mm-hmm. there were like three episodes that just didn't need to be there. Um, I, I, I or, would... or not didn't need to be there. Excuse me. Condensed into one would have been a better way to do it in my opinion. Uh, well, you see, but they were only doing 30 to 40 minute episodes. So there's not really much space to condense. I think. Well, I, so that's why I think a lot of the, the content from the first couple of episodes was just, Oh no, it's, 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 it, they make you earn. Well, and that's, it didn't feel like we all saw, it it was just so obvious. It didn't feel like we earned anything and it it just felt like I sat through boring episodes, which don't get me wrong. I've since watched a bunch of times. Oh no, they're, (laughs) they're not bad episodes, but they, they are so meta and trying to you know amuse fan fans of about uh, amuse any type of uh, any anybody with nostalgia or anybody who was not sold on the marvel universe to begin with i I just so many people were were for the intrigue of the old-timey stuff and to me for that to have worked like we obviously know this isn't the real world for that to have worked for me we would have needed the inner world interspersed with that while it was happening i think that would have been a lot more interesting I, I i would think it the fifth up ep- fourth episode i think when they finally introduce that i think it works out pretty well but no i i agree i mean the way that they did it is not terrible i, yeah. I just there was a lot more stuff in those first couple episodes that i just feel like could have been established in less time that's it well no i uh, yeah, I could, I could see, I could see doing some structure, structural changes. Basically, the, I, I don't know, it, 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 it I don't know, because it really pays off with the uh, sixth episode, but um, when we find out the reasoning why we're doing the lowest form of entertainment, I will stand by Andy Kaufman on that, the sitcom. <laughs> Because in general, I think that I think that's why I'm still a little leaning a little more towards um, cinema over series because uh, I just you know I think you you have a vision with a series like if your if your story is worth it you're gonna you'll get a sequel uh, a series to take so much commitment to get get that's through. not that's not always true though if a story's worth it it'll get a sequel i, I no no it, it's definitely not always true i mean but what what i'm basically saying though is like or you can get a series out of that i don't mind that idea but yeah i mean that's true i'd rather well, i'd rather i'd rather get my entire story told i mean i would rather have a complete story maybe not my entire story i'd rather have my complete story told than to 
worry that I'm going to get cut off at some point in the middle of stat. Ter- I, no, I definitely agree. Like you're right. There's a the sense of finality to it. You know, it's interesting though. I, I think I would have preferred, or I, I prefer a lot of movies that start there and head to shows yes. like what, like what zombie land tried to do. Mm-hmm. Um, although zombie lands issue was that they didn't use the original cast and tried to just recast yeah, them. It should no. have just done different characters in that universe. No, it's and probably it, Emma Stone's finest character. Sorry, yeah. La La Land. <laughs> but like, I I think that there's tons of movie universes out there that I want to live in more. I want to experience more of this world. Like Inception is a big one. I want to know how that dream technology developed. I want to see all that stuff. Okay. And it would be fun to see that in a TV show. Yeah. But yeah, as long as you don't want to know what happens to the top. No, 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 no. I don't. I don't want to. Well, that's similar to the Joker and the Dark Knight. I do not want to know where you came from. I do not want to know if that top is spinning or not. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um. So let's see. Is there any uh, cartoons we need to address? I mean, we. I. I, I think we got your vibe on the um, movies I missed, and I was probably a little too heavy on the movies I. I saw. No, no, you were, I, I, you provided a lot of information I did not otherwise know. And I've seen a lot of the movies, but it's, it's, you know, years ago. So it's, yeah. Oh no, this is a, I mean, well, at least we saw all this stuff, I guess is the important thing (laughs) before running into, uh, have we caught up on Carpenter or we still just, I say I haven't yet. I need to, um, I actually, I saw that I have access to a couple of movies that I didn't know I had access to. So um, that is something I will be doing over the yeah. next couple of days. You know, I, I just finished watching all the Marvel movies again. Um, okay, yeah. Not, not, you know, I didn't just watch the MCU movies, though. I watched all the Marvel movies. Whoa. Including... Dolph Lundgren is the Punisher. Yeah, yeah, okay. and and the Fantastic Four that never released in 1944, Captain America, 1990, Captain America, yeah. Howard the Duck, which is one I one all of it. I mean, I love the director Albert Pion. Um, so he he did uh, he did um, what? Oh, Albert Pion. He did Cyborg. Uh, he did this movie called Heat Seeker that I can't really find. I saw once digitally, but. It definitely didn't make it the DVD. <laughs> I mean, uh, another another one, uh, Mean Mean Guns with uh, Ice T and Christopher Lambert. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, but um, li- runs a little long, but I mean, the sheer That's fact okay. it's it's ridiculous. Basically, a a mob boss is um, a mob underboss is decided. You know what? Everybody's gonna turn on everybody at some point. So before this new prison opens, we're just going to have everybody last man standing. Oh, geez. Throw some guns out to him. Throw some baseball bats. <laughs> Let him <laughs> go. Call it a day. Yeah. I, um, no, I, so my roommate, this was a month and a half ago at this point, he, he got COVID. So mm-hmm. we were quarantined for, you know, some time. And I, I just thought, Hey, I'm going to watch the Marvel movies in chronological order because I've never done that since yeah. we've finished the phase four. And my thinking is, well, this is probably the last time I'm really going to watch these movies mm. for a good amount of time. So when I finished the, the 
timeline, I was like, well, you know, I've been wanting to watch Spider-Man in the Fantastic Four movies. I might as well just keep going with this Marvel thing and just knock it out. Yeah. So I did that all while watching Star Trek on the side. Um, Yeah, I know. And then I finished that. I just watched the Lego movies. I watched all of the Wet Hot American summer universe Mm. in a day. Um, So I've I'm just I'm going through franchises and the John Carpenter stuff is in there that I need to just tackle out and go mm-hmm. through because I'm really excited for it. Yeah. Oh, that just, I mean, it's rare, rare, rarely does he actually ever go over 90 minutes. I mean, the things a little, the thing, the thing does, but I'm definitely, you, I mean, he knows what he can and cannot cut. Yeah. Well, I, from what I've seen in the thing, I would agree. I mean, uh, they live. Um, Prince of Darkness runs a little long for the podcast, but it's it's definitely uh, definitely up there. I, mean, I, still gotta, I can't watch it. Yeah, I still got to catch up with uh, In the Mouth of Madness. Um, but uh, yeah, we've probably been going on close over an hour and a half. So well, that's been um, fun. Yeah, it has been. Uh, it's good talking to you. You too. And um, so we just got to go through the uh, most important thing of a podcast. And now I realize why screen drafts does it in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> the <laughs> plugs and upcoming events. You can find me at main event zombie on Twitter and Instagram uh, letterbox. I'm at CM Darth. Somebody has got to take that. I was initials away from the socio- sociopath formerly known as Phil Brooks. Um, and of course, 90forchill.com, the podcast is where you can find the podcast. And all my other written works are at main event of the dead.com. Uh, Feel free to email me to be a guest on this podcast at rustthebus07 at gmail.com. Or if you want to inquire about uh, my Z budget uh, pro wrestling zombie comedy, main event of the dead, something I think we can punch out in a week, uh, let me know. I'll be happy to send you a treatment. Or uh, if you got any suggestions on how to get it out of developmental hell, greatly appreciated. And uh, Joe, I know you're at quid pro underscore Joe on Instagram and Twitter. Correct. Yep. Uh, I know you do your, you got your drawings on Instagram. You got your. uh, Just nonsense on Twitter. Twitter. Yep. Uh, that's it <laughs> drawings on instagram nonsense on twitter although instagram's a fair amount of nonsense too yeah and uh nothing new with uh the skull and joe no no we still haven't been doing anything um it's we're kind of in our own little areas now it's kind of hard to get a whole thing going but we've talked about doing um stuff at our own computer even though within our same apartment at our own computers together on it so it could be right. something Right. Well, I mean, we got to I'm always to the point where I think well, with you coming back on uh, my older sister's uh, involvement and um, uh, another guest of the podcast has been um, talking about coming back. So we're uh, we're definitely um, I don't know. We're almost to the point where I think we could somehow I got my you know, cannot give up my evenings. Uh, I do not <laughs> sure. give up when I don't give up Wednesdays because of AEW, but uh, well, as of right okay. now, I've I've got nothing going on. Well, um, um, just saying, we got to work towards a podcast network. I think at some point. 
yeah at least then you can figure out how to go to patreon and then you can make the money that's true <laughs> i mean uh it's not i know it's not as sweet as sugar um hey money's but, money well yeah but i'm just saying you know first you get the sugar then you get the power and then you get the women <laughs> that quote uh one homer j simpson <laughs> so there it is all right well thank you very much joe well thank you for having me i had a, I had a good time all right very good uh, all right i guess all i have left to say after that uh introduction is i'm always looking for guests and movie suggestions for 90 for chill the podcast so if you have a film a director an actor a theme that you would like to chat about send me an email to rustthebus 7 at gmail.com that's r-u-s-s-t-h-e-b-u-s-0-7 at gmail.com i know what the restrictions of the podcast are 75 to 100 minutes but i can make anything work if you want to talk about amadeus i'm sure i can crack that code if we happen to talk about amadeus so be it if you would be a dear, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast apps, five-star reviews preferably. I will reciprocate on Apple Podcasts. My username is the Scoop Staley. Otherwise, all I need to do is dedicate the show, of course, to my best friend, Stacia Harden. Uh, we still miss her, uh, but thanks for watching over me. Thanks for taking care of Skimble, the one-eared angel, the cat who used to do a lot of the photos for this podcast promotion hopefully this experiment's gonna bear some fruit and thank you for taking the time to be a part of it i hope you enjoy 90 for chill the podcast with cat bus russ thanks now available on video cassette aurora and don bluth productions present a classic adventure in motion picture entertainment tell you about Nim. Look there. It's a fantasy with wizards and villains. <laughs> and heroes. I ain't scared of nothing. I'm not even afraid of the great owl. Will you hush up? Come on. It's an odyssey to another world. A world of fantasy and enchantment. What you see and hear, you must swear absolute secrecy. It's the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. Do you like me? Of course I like you. I it's mean, a story of friendship. I mean, you don't think I'm clumsy or anything. I just need a few pointers to polish my style. I told you you'd love flying. I don't know how I let you talk me into this. It's a classic story of courage. Why have you come? And a world of danger. <gasps> if I hadn't actually been near a cat, I'd be sneezing my brains out. I'm allergic to hay. <laughs> Excuse me, Bobby. is rewarded. Oh, thank you. A motion picture for everyone to share. Oh, the poor turkey fell down.
So we got a red dot flashing. That means we are recording. Okay. 90forchill.com, the podcast. This is your host, as uh, Spotify will indicate it, uh, Cool Movies Darth, CM Darth for short. That's my letterbox where I'm now doing a list for every uh, podcast, or at least doing my best to. And um, ooh, I'm with the uh, queen of letterboxed. Someone who doesn't follow her little brother back. <laughs> um, the didn't poetic. tell me about this, hon. Well, don't you get your notifications? <laughs> so I have, I have the poetic critic back with us, and you know, uh, cartoons are very popular for this podcast, and definitely '80s cartoons because that was before Disney realized we'll sit through anything any amount of time i mean it took them to about the mid 90s i think um probably i don't know i'd say pocahontas was when they finally pushed 100 minutes no pocahontas is one of the shorter ones of that period i think it's more like 75 oh geez well i've tells you that i've never actually sat and watched that one i've seen i've never really you never saw that in the theater? I thought you did. You came with us for that one. No, no. I think I was at wrestling school. You know, you're probably right. Yeah. Yep. So, and um, let's see then. Uh, Hunchback, I never really paid much attention to. I guess I kind of was, uh, I don't know, kind of let let down by the response to the Pocahontas. And it's like, all right, Renaissance is over. And yeah, Pocahontas is 81 minutes with credits, so that's uh, pretty short. Okay, so as I said, I don't think uh, Disney started pushing 100 minutes with their features again until Atlantis. That sounds about right. Um, so and I guess I, I, you know, I guess I shouldn't be so harsh on Pocahontas or Disney. I did see uh, Hercules many a time, um, but you know, I don't know. Soundtrack on Hercules just kind of wears on me. I guess. Um, I guess it, I'm. Just... It's a weird concept for how they handled that. Well, I don't know necessarily. It works on an in, on the level of individual songs, but well, uh, that kind of. Um brings me to what the uh, first suggestion for this podcast you had was uh, 80s musicals. Yeah, but a lot of them are too long for you, and I wasn't going to make you sit through something like Voyage to the Rock Aliens. I don't know. That that just sounded weird, but no. Oh, uh, it is. It's like the Asylum version of something like Earth Girls Are Easy, but about five years in advance. Yeah. Yeah, when was uh, Earth Girls were are easy um, actually filmed? Because there was some. It was filmed over late '87, early '88. Okay, so there was just some confusion I had when I uh, listened to screen drafts, and I think they brought up the apple in some way or something. No, it was um, 
it was a screen draft i think about valentine's uh relationship horror movies yeah and the fly um, was- <clears throat> uh yeah they, uh, they shot they were... Earth Girls Are Easy over late 87, early 88. They did some reshoots then. Uh, it had some trouble getting released because the distributor went belly up. It was yeah. supposed to be a DeLorean T Entertainment Group. Then they shopped it around at the Toronto Film Festival in 88. And okay. uh, Vestron picked it up and they got it out the next spring. Oh, just in the nick of time when it comes to Vestron. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was um but it was you kind of see why the movie didn't do as well as it could have because it was just kind of snake bitten well i just bring it up because with the relationship horror draft on screen drafts they mentioned yeah oh they they thought (laughs) oh that's where gina earth girls are easy came first oh no earth girls are easy second and i I was pretty sure about that yeah and in fact, uh, Goldwoman Davis married during a break in the Earth Girl shoot. Oh, I didn't know they actually got married. Oh, yeah, they were married from 1989, 1987 through uh, roughly 1990. Uh-huh. Apparently it was an amicable Oh no, I, They were together for a few years. Yeah, well, it was they kind were of together for a few years, but it's yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, Goldie yeah, they met on the, set, the movie that maybe. brought them together was Transylvania Six Five Thousand in nineteen eighty five. Okay, so there. All right. Well, we got that. They met on that set. Well, we got that straightened out. But the what I was getting about mm-hmm. the um, musicals, and I think it might just be my yeah. taste. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, the original cut of Little Shop, well, the released cut of Little Shop of Horrors, qualifies for ninety for chill. Yeah. Uh, but. I have the same kind of problem. I think it just doesn't mesh well. The songs for me, I mean, I, me, like it just jumps when you have your, um, your doo-wop girls and then, you know, weird with the dentist, you know, just very weird juxtapositions at times. So, yeah. And some of it does make sense if you know that, as originally shot, it has a much darker ending. Yeah, right. And I, and I mean, Audrey too. Really, I'll watch Little Shop of Horrors for Steve Martin, Audrey mm-hmm. too, and Bill Murray. I, I did... think it's a very strong musical if you can... It's a very strong musical, I think. It's got good bones to work on. It's just unusual. But... Um... I don't know. I think it was a good Jim Belushi usage. I mean, how often can you say that? <laughs> um, so that's so I guess you get my vibe on musicals. And yeah, I understand. And it's kind of weird that the Disney Renaissance is centered all around musicals because I don't think there was a uh, singing puppies and foxes in 81. I know there weren't any songs in Cauldron. And it started warming up with Great Mouse Detective and Oliver and Company, mm-hmm. but you know we're we're I'm bending the rules because we got a movie with a cat in it, but mm-hmm. those are both 74 minutes, which are a minute shy of 90forchill.com, so it's an unusual circumstance there. Right. But um. So, but again, we're talking about the cartoons and. I had the did my podcast with uh, at Quid Pro Joe on Instagram and Twitter where we were talking right. about anime. Yeah, I listened to that episode. Oh, now 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 I'm finding out you're selective. Oh, jeez. No, just giving you just just trying to 
create some podcast fodder, you know, instead of me calling out the more famous CM and uh, which he was good, which he was what used well in the remake of uh, Rabbit, which I actually found more enjoyable than the original, but um, sorry. It, I mean, you, I'm kind of disappointed in, in Rabbit with uh, from Cronenberg. I mean, it's a great grindhouse trailer. I mean, great action set pieces. Mall Santa. Uh, it doesn't. Undown. He isn't able to keep up the momentum of the first half hours. Problem with Rabbit. Yeah, it's I, a very simple concept, and after a certain point, it's just ladder rinse repeat. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Um, yeah, I mean that's pretty, but you know the. I, it's just very difficult not to recommend a movie where a mall Santa gets gunned down. I suppose not. I mean, that's, I, I'm just thinking, well, we're talking about the eighties. Well, wouldn't that have been a cool way? John Lithgow uh, would end Santa Claus, the movie. I'm sparing, okay. I'm sparing Dudley Moore, <laughs> but uh, you know, in uh, our society right now, it looks like, John Litkow won anyhow. So, <laughs> uh, and that's actually, I was uh, talking me. to Fuzzball yesterday and he was yeah very much about uh, talking about Buckaroo Bonsai and a lot yeah. of John Litkow stuff. So, mm-hmm. a lot of special features, Kevin Smith interviews and such. Right. Spoke of his love of Leviathan, which <laughs> I. I I don't know. I still need to see Deep Star Six and The Abyss to really pass judgment on underwater horror. <laughs> I think The Abyss finally is up on Amazon Prime again. Because oh, right. that one's kind of fallen out of circulation for a while. A lot of people have been asking about it. It's Was that a Caraloco movie? Might have been. Yeah, I'm just, just saying that because, well... I mean, Artisan picked up a lot of pieces of that and they went on. Yeah. It's. And then Lionsgate picked up a lot of the Artisan back catalog. Yep. So uh, my biggest problem with Lionsgate and MGM and uh, Paramount is basically that uh, they're trying to fight the Movies Anywhere app. They, yeah. I'm just more frustrated. I know a lot of people wish Lionsgate would do more physical releases of the back catalog. Oh, I mean, near the near dark Blu-ray has been out of print for years and um, Earth Girls Are Easy has never had a Blu-ray. And I know there are a lot of people who would do would would pick that one up. Yeah, it were back out there. Yeah, I don't know. I think Criterion is really the only people who can rely on now for Blu-rays. I mean, no. There's well, Kino, Lor- you know, no, no, Kino there's, Lorber and there's Shout Factory. I mean, yeah, you're you're right, but I'm just saying, like, Criterion's the big name. I don't think you got a, any studios that really want to uh, keep the physical media market going. Uh, I mean, I was working both my jobs today, and I knew they were cleaning the shelves of uh, physical media at uh, Best Buy. Right. But I didn't expect the shelves to actually go. I was hoping for a reorganization. Mm-hmm. So I guess Barnes and Noble is your place. And you know they just don't have a lot of copies of stuff. Right. <laughs> but um 
So, I mean, we're really beating around the bush. We're keeping it in the 80s, um, showing <laughs> our age. Um, happy 41st, uh, 43rd, sorry. Thank you. Um, and thank you for doing it. I mean, you might say you're better than me. You did a podcast on your birthday week. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what really drew you, I guess, was it just an easy, like, because you know I know a hell of a lot of cartoons um, from the 80s. And, you know, I mean, that's what we pretty much... I mean, the only one I didn't really, I wanted to binge um, that I didn't get around to was The Adventures of Mark Twain, because that just looked really weird when it was on Disney Channel. Well, oh, we're going to get to Adventures of Mark Twain. Okay. I've, I did some prep work for this one, so we're going to move kind of in chronological order. All right. Well, we then. Talk about where we're coming from. Well, I was thinking, because you kind of came up with the, consulted me kind of on the fly and I was kind of thinking about what would be an interesting topic I could speak on about Mm -hmm. and 80s animation especially features is something that I've kind of been thinking a lot about lately and I know other people have too especially Uh, yeah go on especially against well just today they dropped the final trailer for the space jam sequel uh i haven't watched it yet i mean uh, i haven't either there's plenty of chatter you know yeah i mean i know i think we talked about it with joe uh right we don't have to rehash that that people being a stuff about the boobs and the missing of our favorite favorite incompetent rape rapist (laughs) i mean I mean, really, if you frame it like, oh, he just sucks at it. <laughs> He's really not that dangerous. But anyway, <clears throat> but anyway, we're talking about how on film Twitter, there's been a lot of talk about how much animation has changed and how there was a big cultural. I was talking with my friend Jessica Ritchie last night, and we were talking about this big cultural shift that took place in the 90s that led to this we have more of a kitty kitty culture than used to i don't know if i'd agree with that i mean you look at a movie like uh teen titans go where i i really think yeah these movies are definitely made for kids but i think to their benefit though that they are definitely trying to capture that old warner brothers feel of yeah, we better in Muppets feel of yeah, we better go and just you know thank the adults and give them something, right? Like, <coughs> I mean, me. yeah, uh, t- the uh, Teen Titans go like just the last joke to ruin. Uh, I'm still still wondering if Ryan and uh, Nick showed John that Christmas gift for the last line of that film, right? But but anyway. You know, anyway. Spon- SpongeBob, same thing, and of course, it's got its controversy right now, which I, which I support the decisions they made on that one. You, you can't tell people to panic during a quarantine, and it's just way too adult to talk about panty raids. Well, what I was thinking though is that 
increasingly the animated feature market has become dominated by formula storytelling. And like Jessica and I, we're big animation fans, but we've both fallen out of the loop of the newer Disney releases and even the newer Pixar releases. Oh, I'll acknowledge the um, last Pixar I saw was Coco and I couldn't tell you really the last Pixar prior to that probably wouldn't be surprised it was uh oh no it was probably probably monster university which has a lot of love i mean i think a lot of people actually consider it better than the original i don't monsters university has a fantastic ending but the rest of the movie doesn't live up to that um so yeah but that was a rental and as it comes to disney uh zootopia I think it's the last Disney movie I watched. Uh, right. Well, I'm sorry, Ralph wrecks the internet, mm-hmm. which uh, you want formulaic. Right. And, and why didn't we know then that Gal Gadot shouldn't be singing? Just saying. And anyway, you go back to the 1980s when animation was very much seen as just a children's medium with the exception of a few indie filmmakers right and we're definitely like ralph bakshi yeah then you you're looking at what was a very interesting time even if it wasn't especially prolific because you know drew mcqueen scott weinberg's 80s all over podcast they were only able to cover a handful of animated features before they had to wrap the show with the april 85 episode right and yeah you really just that wasn't that kind of stuff going into wide release no you really only had i think um i mean there there was some stuff when i apple uh asked siri um on my apple tv you know 80s animated movies um there were some odd uh, ones that really wanted to you know pay it give a chance to the one that looked like it was the uh john oliver porn rats <laughs> um I mean, but otherwise, yeah, very, very definite. I think, um, I mean, it was interesting because you had, I think you could say you had some people taking runs at Disney. I mean, you definitely had Don Bluth. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. All right. So that's 82. What happened in 80, I guess? The only only one they were able to cover for 80s all over, and it's the only one I can film that got an American wide release was the last of the original Peanuts movies, Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I kind of found to be the weaker, weakest of them, I think. Um, I haven't watched those movies in years because so many of these movies I haven't really felt the need to revisit because I knew them pretty well as a kid. Yeah. I don't I, think I, I'd get any, a lot particularly. But at least with Peanuts, Peanuts, though, we all had, we all read, I mean, everybody reads the comics regardless of age. So we all had something to get out of it. It's kind of amazing that the Peanuts franchise continues to just chug along in some form or another without a lot of massive hype behind it because they're still make like they now make officially authorized original little comics with the characters, little comic books. Yeah. As well as keeping the original comics in circulation or doing new animated adaptations oh yeah like they've been doing one for apple tv plus right something that i got a subscription to just because of the you know um my phone upgrade uh, right 
but uh, have not really given much go to, which is really, really bad because I'm a, so- a football fan, not soccer. Right. Um, Ted Lasso. Uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it looks like they're getting a decent lineup. I mean, it looks like they're going to have something that can take a run at Netflix. But, right. But going back to something like Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown, you do have to remember that into the 70s, there just was not seen as a market for children's movies per se. So if animation's only seen for children, there's just not gonna be seen as a prospective market for children's movies. I mean, this was an era when they still had the kitty matinee on weekends or in the summer, where you kind of ghettoize that kind of movie. Mm. Only Disney, when they were feeling up to it, was really providing anything to the children's market as it was. Right. And even they went and took a shot with uh, the black hole. Yeah. And we'll talk a little more about that as we go along. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, when you get to 81, there's only a handful of films. There's Ralph Bakshi's American Pop early in the year. Yeah, which is... uh, you know, I was stopping to think about that one. I haven't didn't rewatch it, but um, no, I mean, it, we I probably was the only guy paying attention in his sleepover in high school watching the old VHS tape of that. And right. That one really, um, I guess, just being a rock and roll fan, especially growing up in a town in a town where you have three classic rock stations. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed three classic rock stations at a time. You might have four on occasion, but right. As uh, uh, Jimmy Pardo said, uh, what's your deal, Peoria, with four, four classic rock stations? Oh, no, Grandma's flatlining. Give her some legs. <laughs> it, it, yeah, not a, the first, not a good visual, not a good uh, podcast joke, because, of course, Pardo did the ZZ Top <laughs> arm right. wave when he did that. And he said, you know, even when he did that, eh, younger audience. <laughs> so, um, but no, American pop really uh, stuck with me. Um, I guess no, for- that is, that's one of Bakshi's more interesting later films. And it's one of the only ones now that is even in easy circulation compared to the 70s work as oh, far as I know. Well, There's still some light spots on that I have. But, to catch up with yeah but you, you can still occasionally find felix somewhere um i've seen i've seen lord of the rings um and i did uh watch uh i know we're jump i'm jumping a couple of years you know not to uh disrespect todd and copper uh i did watch uh fire and ice last night well yeah fire and ice isn't a total success but I do admire that it's so straightforward. Oh yeah, um, that de- definitely it just keeps chugging along. But what I really uh, noticed with Bashki is his attempt to really try to make realistic animation. I mean, yeah, he he really that. didn't like the the Disney style, the di- right. the kind of stylization that Disney pioneered for that for animating oh. human characters in particular right i mean what is it retro or rotro 
scoping. Right. It's called rotoscoping, where you're basically using live action, live action as at least a reference, over. if not tracing over it. Right. Which, I mean, I could, I, I admired the attempt in Lord of the Rings, but yeah. I, he does pretty much nail it, I think, in uh, Fire and Ice. But yeah, uh, I think, I think it helped that he might have had a more evenly applied budget. I don't know, because uh, some of the late 70s films very clearly show uh, they had some major budget issues. So we had to do a lot of shortcuts. Well, uh, I mean... Like Wizards and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, well... Because what he wanted to do with rotoscoping was he wanted the more subtle expressions and movements that the melodramatic Disney style doesn't always provide. The Disney style can use the kind of melodramatic, almost silent movie style acting quite well. Yes. But he was looking for something subtler. Mm-hmm. And he was very much uh, not in, into that the, the Disney approach. Right. So, yeah, I guess yeah, I've my, seen American Pop. My big and surprise. I've seen Fire haven't seen Hey Good Look in the movie. No, that he made was that, that, that kind of came I, out of the ashes of one of the 70s projects. Right. I don't know if it's free right now, but that came up in my search. Um, but it's right. going, um, when it comes to Bashki, though, I, I was surprised how tame <laughs> Fire and Ice was. It does, all. it is a little surprising given that he's working in what, in a subgenre that, oh, is. What Usually, would, what would Fulci do? <laughs> yeah, in the same year as Conquest too. That's interesting. But so, um, but with American Pop just being a straight narrative, and I yeah, mean, every every every, I mean, it's just a brilliantly written film when you go back and look at it. I mean, every scene matters, right? Yeah. So, um, so. So otherwise, 81, the only other thing that comes to immediate mind is... Is heavy metal, which... Well, yes, sorry. Is not, not a Nelvana film. Nelvana was asked to participate in the heavy metal project because they were using a whole bunch of different studios to put that together. Right. Uh, I'm just saying, but Care Bears what, movie three, the Care Bears... What had happened was they, they were working on rock and roll rule at the time okay that was the one with the rats it looked like but the humanoid animal people yes as i say the john oliver porn rats if you're familiar with that um uh, and they wound up taking a bath on that movie partially because uh the distributor i think mgm was the distributor and they were having problems at the time oh same thing that it affected the release of secret of nim and that was why they ended up having to do stuff like the care bears movie afterward well but 80s, 80s was just a bad time for roller skates honestly yeah i mean but about yeah, the xanadu and yeah but about the stranger aspects of care bears movie that you noticed here rock and rule is about a post-apocalyptic world where the world's biggest rock star is trying to summon a Lovecraft Isle demon. So you weren't that far off conceptually. Well, um, some people really like it. No, I uh, no, you're kind of I I, I dug uh, not to jump all the way to the twenty teens, but hey, 
uh, Constantine, uh, the Justice League dark stuff, which led to uh, Constantine um, City of Demons, um, like which is pretty much trying to combine magic and rock and roll and a bunch of people get eaten in Newcastle. Right. Well, yeah, but the other thing in 81 was that Disney finally got around to Fox and the Hound, yes. which was supposed to be their release for Christmas 1980. Mm. But Don Bluth and his crew leaving the studio forced a delay on that one. Fox and the Hound is interesting because it is the last movie that the had any input from the original core of Disney animation directors mm -hmm. they, who were colloquially known as the Nine Old Men. And I remember we saw that a few times when they did the 1988 reissue. The bear fell down the, the falls. Is... The bear fell in the water. Yeah. That's what, that's what Rand said. Yeah. And it was interesting years later that he was two at the time. <laughs> right. People said that Pocahontas was the first of these Disney animated features to have a truly bittersweet ending because that's what the Fox and the Hound has. It's a pretty dramatic story. And it, I kind of had a hard time understanding who we were supposed to root for when I was 10. I, I don't know about that. Going into I, the third act. And I, it's clear to my mind now. but Right. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, hey, uh, Todd was defending himself. And yeah. Copper was no, we're still up. supposed to have some sympathy with Copper's oh, side. No, I get that, but you know everybody around Copper is a twat. <laughs> I mean, the guy from F Troop is, sorry, one of the more, God rest his soul, is one of the best known twats in all of media. And I mean that in a loving way. He but, was the voice of the older dog, right? Um, I think so. But Russ, could you please tone down the language? <laughs> We're talking about G-rated movies in this case. Sorry, I get bad influences. You were talking 80s all over. You're talking screen drafts. I mean, you want you, you want interesting. Why you listen to the great screen drafts Disney live action adventure draft? <laughs> In any case, though, uh, Fox and the Hound did okay for Disney in 81. But yeah. it wasn't, it was, it was a pretty successful movie. Oh, it yeah. It came out in a unusually competitive, it was, as 80s all over put well, it, Raiders the of summer Lost was Ark so just dominated by that, that movie yeah. that was kind of a free-for-all in the rest of the season. A lot of people forget the, the Second and third most popular movies that summer were Superman 2 and Arthur. And if you adjust for inflation stuff, you realize just how big those movies were. Oh, well. In a way that you couldn't imagine something like Arthur would be now. Wait, they, they both spawned sequels. That's that true. Are, they both spawned beloved sequels. <laughs> But you move on from Fox and the Hound, and also 1981 was the year of the second of those uh, Looney Tunes compilation movies. Right. Uh, which I, can't, I can't remember or... if we ever saw those in theaters or not. No. I mean, the best we could get that would be a, a showing at Glen Oak Park, you know. Yeah. 
that was mostly old Disney movies. Right. And then, but in 82, which one reason they hold up 82 is a big year for um, fantasy, sci-fi, horror in general is because there was a sudden in there was a sudden influx of some ambitious animated features, even if they didn't do well financially. Like The Secret of Nim came out that summer. Yep, which is a bona fide classic. I mean, Don Bluth had a great 80s. I mean, from what I can recall, um, I mean, I'm sure there's something in between Secret of Nim and American Tale. There isn't. Oh, so it was just Dragon's Lair and Space. Pretty Lair. much. What happened? He was basically running on more mortgaging your house and stuff oh. just to get Secret of Nim done. Oh, I mean, and he was then, in Ireland. He immediately went to Ireland for the tax reasons. Well, not immediately. Huh. Um, the original unit with Secret of Nim, which could have done better at the box office, had again MGM not been going through huge financial issues with the united artists merger at the yeah time. well roller skates again xanadu heaven's gate but people who love like the secret of nim tended to really love it and i i am uh i mean i i enjoy it more every time i watch it I, I'll, I'll actually say that yeah it let's, is let's go film. and traumatize our niece and nephew tomorrow it's a film that work can work on an adult level i I do have to say that I've never been the biggest fan of Don Bluth's work on the whole. I mean, Secret of Nim, I've seen chunks of it and it does have a very effective climax, but I don't feel the need to watch the whole thing again. There's only so much wacky Dom DeLuise hijinks I can take. I, I, I don't know if there's such a and thing. It's one of those, also, you do get the feeling that because Bluth knew that they were basically betting the farm on this that he wanted to bring in make the movie as huge as possible for what the story actually is because i have read uh well via audiobook the original novel mm. and the high fantasy elements with the mystical amulet and stuff that's not in the book oh i can definitely see that not being in the book but, i mean um... like the idea that the, that there's one fraction of the rats that splits off that is important in the book but then they get killed off stage basically and that's what requires the other rats to have to make their escape at the end mm -hmm. it's a much less tense climax right. it's much more straightforward well um... Uh, compared to what bluth did to the story to try and justify being a huge project and just to a lot of it's just showing off like supposedly they need the story goes they needed layers upon layers of cells just to get the effect on the amulet right Ooh, uh, that, that does seem a uh, seem a little he unnecessary was very he, he could be very luth could be a very indulgent director visually well i mean he he's trying i mean there wasn't walt disney anymore somebody had to say right. he he was trying to reclaim that kind of care for the form after Disney itself had had to switch to cost-cutting measures in the 60s, which was around the time he joined the company because Sleeping Beauty hadn't 
made back its budget in 59. But Bluth always had a stronger sense of his visuals than he ever had for his stories. Oh. His stories kind of had trouble hanging together, even when he was working under Spielberg, because Spielberg was a huge fan of The Secret of Nim, so he, he, he tapped him to he, do the American Tale. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I would say, I think uh, Bluth kind of stepped away from being so indulgent once he only had projects like the pebbles and pebble and the penguin which brings us back to jim belushi Uh, well that's partial out of hunger because what happened was even though the work he did under amblin was his most commercially successful mm. he real uh spielberg and later Lucas, when they did Land Before Time, they did exert quite a bit of editorial control and stuff oh, over the films well, that he didn't like. Right. Supposedly, there's Land Before Time is not a long movie. And that's because no. apparently a big chunk of material was cut late in the game. Oh. And it was at the finished animation stage. Like there's at least $1 million worth of finished animation that got cut. And Bluth was so unhappy with this that he decided to take his unit and work independently. And that was when he went to Ireland for the tax break and stuff. And that's where, and the first film out of that was All Dogs Go to Heaven in 89. And I think that's when things fell apart. He He needed that kind of oversight, I think, for the stories to have any chance of hanging together. Yeah, I... I don't know. I mean, you know, this podcast is big on Stuart Gordon and it's kind of like, well, Gordon always, I just bring up Gordon because he always blew up very simple ideas. Um, I mean, with. And he was also someone who couldn't necessarily deal with bigger studio control. You know, he had a hand in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, right? Oh, yes. Oh, no. I And he, his, um, you know, Disney gave him the magnificent ice cream suit eventually. Yeah. Uh, but but with Bluth, after All Dogs Go to Heaven tanked, and then Rockadoodle did even worse. Yeah. Uh, he basically he could not work for a budget anymore, and he he starts creatively flailing. The next films he he does are Thumbelina. Troll in Central Park. Ugh. Pebble and the Penguin, he took his name off the director credit for that film for a reason because oh. MGM basically MGM basically forced him into a half-completed film. There's a ton of material he wasn't able to finish on that film and a lot of stuff that wasn't completed properly because they were fed up. They just wanted to get this out as cheaply and quickly as possible because they knew there wasn't really a market for it. Mm-hmm. And then they bring him back to Fox and... I, I, I just bear with me. What if Steve Martin was the fat penguin? I mean, you, you can't beat that combination. I'm just I saying, know. I mean, casting what ifs, you know? <laughs> right. And then... I Anastasia 
is a movie that I really liked at the time. Yeah, nobody, it hasn't aged well. No, it's, well, even at the time, I had to admit, it's kind of an insane movie, conceptually. Uh, That time when when Disney and other studios were trying to make their animated features more mature while while at the same time catering to the Happy Meal crowd and licensing leads to such weird juxtapositions. Oh, well. I mean, the go-to example are the Gargoyles and Hunchback of Notre Dame, but Anastasia is just as cracked up. Well, I I will say, though, with Anastasia, I mean, the entire concept of Anastasia is screwed up because it's really, if you're going to have any narrative about it, it's all about, you have to have Rasputin be your villain. Well, no, I, I'm just the saying day, that after, a, after after Hellboy, uh, you know, I'm, I I lean towards that. <laughs> but no, actually, you don't, because they have done a stage adaptation of Anastasia, which oh. ran for about a year on Broadway, and all the fantasy content is gone. Instead, aside from the idea that Anastasia survived, and instead, the villain is a a Bolshevik general whose father died in the revolution and he want when he finds out that Anastasia is still alive he wants to end the line for good as a means of revenge I I, I think and, as, a, as a communist I think that's just the patriotic thing to do but I, I digress this isn't about my politics hi mom but <laughs> it, it shows you could ju- and it just confirms how it plays in the original movie you could easily cut the Rasputin material and just do a straightforward version of this sort of story i and don't know work. christopher if you have always had, if you have always had going back to the stage play that was the inspiration for it well i'm just saying if you have christopher lloyd in a role it better be weird i i think the only animated feature that didn't just sell you a bill of goods in terms of the content being more adult oriented was the Prince of Egypt, at least with American animated feature. Oh no. I, yeah, but oh, now we're, we're going into that weird realm where we had DreamWorks possibly saving animation, you know, you uh, see there was such a hope for what they could have done if Shrek, hadn't turned out to be the breakthrough hit right i mean you do see those diverging paths i mean there's a lot of love for the um, the one about the horse a spirit is very good film yeah and it is weird and i know there's supporters for um what was it kevin klein and was it jeff goldblum looking for no, it's uh, El Dorado. Uh, Kevin Klein and Kenneth Branagh oh. wrote to El Dorado, okay. but apparently that had a really miserable production too. So it wasn't well, surprising that they didn't go further there. Kenneth apparently Branagh. it was a really miserable production. Yeah, well, once you attach Kevin Branagh to anything that's not Shakespeare, that that can happen. But Spirit's weird because it spawned off this little girly horsey franchise on the side. Well, it's been the, going for years now. I, yeah, I don't know what it is with girls and equestrian. I mean, uh, I think the the Olsen twins had a well reviewed equestrian video game. 
girls love ponies it's the famous stereotype well have you seen the funko pops i mean uh, recently for the classic my little ponies uh, no i haven't oh i mean i i'm even i'm even tempted to you know it's not pinky pie but it's pink <laughs> okay i have said my piece on don blue, blue so. yeah, which is uh so great we can uh kind of look past a lot of 87 and 88 then or 86 and 88 well, um, going back to but let's go back to 82 okay around the same that in november alone you get the third of the looney tunes compilation movies you get Hanna-Barbera's uh, Heidi song. Okay. What? Which is one of the first movies, because I remember watching it on television in the late 80s, that I found myself not really enjoying. It was one of the movies I felt something was off about, if I, though I couldn't express it at the time. No, I, I get it. We're not... We don't really badmouth movies as children. I mean, there there comes that awakening yeah. where you realize, oh, they they've been selling me garbage. And it's sad because I do think they did a wonderful job with Charlotte's Web in the seventies. Yes, well, that's. But Heidi's song, I can't help but always think of it as Hanna Barbera trying to come up with their own Annie because they had really wanted the film rights to that musical. Although they would have just done it as something like a television special. Right. And so they do this Heidi adaptation instead. Which is leading us to 83, obviously, when you... We're getting close, but we have to do one more before we get there. Okay. And that's uh, last one. because that was... Yeah, that was 83, right? No, that was 82. Okay, although, which, is, which was a what I, a rewatch for me on this. So, Yeah, because uh, they just added Last Unicorn to Criterion Channel. Another oh. streamer. Okay, I don't think it's worth it. Criterion Channel does that Saturday matinees program, and they occasionally do put in these animated features, like they did Charlotte's Web last year. Yeah, but Charlotte's Web is a bona fide classic. Uh Last Unicorn is kind of, um, I think, everybody wanted to do Tolkien, but they just didn't know how to do Tolkien. Well, and in this case, they had the advantage of, this was based on a fantasy novel, and they brought in the original writer of the book for the script. Right, but I'm just saying, um, we had Black Cauldron, which was just basically the Welsh knockoff of Tolkien. Yeah, but Last Unicorn, a lot of people really stand up We'll go to bat for last unicorn. Well, yeah. I I wish I I mean there's you like there's some nice set pieces and I mean the there's some great character design, but the action is like there's no it's not fluid at all. Like you don't really get to see anything intense. It, well, reminds, Rankin, it reminds me of the Hobbit um, from Rankin Bash. Yeah. Well, as um, it's like, McQueen okay. said on 80s all over Rankin Bass generally didn't work on ones right I, I understand that but and it, you do not realize later later on because it is a memorable movie I haven't seen it in years but stuff like how all the unicorns return in the climax is still memorable 
Yeah. And yeah, you might want to rewatch that. <laughs> I I I just okay, maybe I'm just worried about the cat that has his bit. And then, <laughs> is he did he get out of the castle? <laughs> and Last Unicorn also has an unusual historical precedent that some of these other movies don't. Uh, Rankin Bass, as you know, um, farmed out a lot of their material to Jap- Japan. Right. They called Topcraft. Yes. No. And Top and Topcraft is the seeds of Studio Ghibli. Right. No, I, I did know that. Yeah. And you can kind of see uh Nazca, the Valley of the Wind is kind of the transition as they were, as those animators were striking out onto their own. Because mm-hmm. Nazca is not technically a Studio Ghibli film, but is generally included among them. First proper Studio Ghibli film is La Puta Castle in the Sky in 86. Okay. And, but you can do kind of see how Nazca is the transitional film. For what they wanted to do. Oh no! I mean, Nasica. From what they've been Nasica, doing at Rankin Bass. Nasica is one of the most ambitious, I think, films of the '80s. I, I, in terms of I've stuff. read a, like, I think maybe the first three volumes of the manga version, because mm-hmm. the movie only covers the first two volumes of what was eventually a seven-volume work that. Miyazaki did on the side kind of a side project it's a little unclear in my memory but the story went on a lot longer in the manga well as it tends to be I mean this brings me back to uh I think um we really got to know what to adapt when we're uh, adapting stuff this brings me to um what's pretty much an animated movie um alita battle angel right uh, it's beautiful and it's a great adaptation i think except i wouldn't have adapted those stories <laughs> right well with nasca where the movie ends is where the second volume of the manga ends yeah it's the foot they that they just went with the first star right which but they did with that battle angel but oh i'm just yeah i'm just saying like Nausicaa, at least Nausicaa is kind of uplifting. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like, hey, we've, uh, the nat- nature has beaten the mankind. I mean, man, not man. Right. You know, uh, I definitely appreciate that uh, message, at least. And uh, now we can go into 1983. Okay. Uh, which. We but, already talked about Fire and Ice. Yeah. Now, the other, the big film from 83, and uh, my friend Jessica recently saw this one through Warner Archive and loved it, is Twice Upon a Time. Yeah, I know. I know have there's you, a lot, you, of, lot of people who love that one. I can't say I've seen it. Uh, it. It is worth, very much worth tracking down. Again, it's a movie that wound up having a bigger impact than anyone could have expected at the time because some of the some some of the people who were helping out with the story and such they went on to Pixar. This was a Lucasfilm production. Ah, yeah, and, and was released by the Lad Co- Company, which was the production company that also did Blade Runner and the Ride stuff around the same time. 
They didn't last very long because most of these movies were not hits at the time. Oh yeah, no, I was about to say. But, <laughs> but uh, Twice Upon a Time was Lucasfilm and was interesting. It is a live action animation combo film, if in an unusual way. The directing animator was Charles Swenson, who was kind of one of the great journeyman animators of that era because he'd go from stuff like Down and Dirty Duck for Roger Corman's New World Pictures to the first few of the Strawberry Shortcake specials. And by the end of the 80s, he was key to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles original animated series. But with Twice Upon a Time, he, he helped handle the animation and the other director, John Cordy, he was mainly a television director and he would go on to do the Ewoks TV movies for Lucasfilm in the are next those, few years. Are those on Disney Plus? They of... just got added. Okay. Yeah, they, there's been some chat on Twitter about that. So are we going to get droids? I've heard that's coming up because they just, they have put up the Ewoks animated series. Okay. All right. They're getting, they're getting, they even put up the, uh, Boba Fett short from the holiday special. Okay, I was about to say, you better, no, they better not. <laughs> that did not happen. They did put up the short, though. Remember, they'd already included that in one of the Blu-ray sets anyway. I understand. It's like, But, okay. uh, yeah, apparently they're, they're getting around to droids. And um, that is Nelvana work, too, is uh, much of the uh, droids in the first season of Ewoks anyway we're no Nelvana work but anyway with Twice Upon a Time it's very much a proto Pixar movie in terms of the concept which is a war between the land of dreams and the land of nightmares and at the same time it is a pure comedy version of that concept in a way that I don't think a Pixar movie would handle it Mm. It, is, it is a straightforward high concept 80s comedy and it's it was seen as rather adult for its time although it's even there are two different audio tracks for the film on the DVD release and one has slightly saltier dialogue but you wouldn't be anything harder than a PG-13 now but PG-13 didn't exist at the time and there were also some issues between the creatives that kept it out of circulation for many years, at least active circulation. Mm. Aside from a few airings on, first few airings on HBO around 83, 84. Then Cartoon Network aired it over one weekend in 1999. This was how I saw it. And there was a brief video release in around 93. But Finally, Warner Archive picked it up a few years ago and got it back in, in uh, circulation again. Okay. And it's one of the only Warner Archive discs that has stuff like a commentary track and everything to explain all this. Ah. But besides the Pixar talent that worked on it, David Fincher helped out with the effects work. Henry Selleck was one of the animators. Hmm. And you can kind of see where that would all track. Yeah, definitely. And... It, it is one of my favorite animated features that decade because it looks like nothing else that was coming out at the time. Again, it's pure comedy. It really is worth tracking down. Mm -hmm. It's almost kind of like somewhere between a kid-friendly version 
of South Park crossed with a Pixar concept and kind of a freewheeling Rocky. A comparison I hear a lot of is to Rocky and Bullwinkle, especially the fractured fairy tales. And that would that would about sum it up. Okay. Not easy but, to explain. But also, bring... um, uh, it's also very good voice cast. If you love uh, the great old school voice actors like Paul Fries and Lorenzo Music. Right. Well, when we go into uh, 83, this brings me to a quick rewatch uh, between my bank shift and my Best Buy shift. Um, I've watched, I figured, eh, somebody's got to go and uh, dress streamline pictures. I watched uh, uh, a time skip 10,000 years prime rose, hmm. um, which uh, is uh, based, off, based off a uh, Osamu Tezuka. Uh, and, there were a lot uh, of adaptations of his work around that time, weren't there? Yeah, there were. Well, I mean, Astro Boy was pretty much still the end all be all when it came to. Yeah. But this was also when they made the Unico films. Oh, you see, I, I I I meant to get one of those in. I figured I had to do some anime, so they're on Tubi. I, I understand the that, uh, but dubs. Oh, oh yeah, and I was I was I was going to, and it was in consideration, but I figured I hadn't seen this one, Prime Rose, and it uh, it kind of is a nice uh, follow up after watching a late night showing of Fire and Ice because of how ridiculous i mean it keeps moving just very ridiculous concepts i can understand why it's got a four on imdb um and they still take the time to work in a oh we gotta get the heroin nude for a good segment that i mean straight up fan service <laughs> but um i it's it's subtitled it's on amazon prime um and uh as I say, this this it it would be great for riff tracks. Let's put it that way. It's it's fun, it, but you can't help but laugh way, your way through it. As and I think we could do that. The last unicorn as well. Like whenever I I saw the the red bull come up, it's like I wanted to scream, "Wings, mother!" It's <laughs> um, not funny. <laughs> hey, I didn't say it. <laughs> But, but, uh, um, but when it uh, just, you know, let's knock, I'm just saying, let's knock streamline pictures out of the way. They really only had one. I mean, they, they, the studio, the, that line of films was pretty much dependent on Akira. Right. Um, I mean, Golga 13, that I think is 83, actually. Yes, yes. It has some great, um, experimental cgi yeah it's fascinating little film it's yeah. just not very dramatically satisfying because i don't know whole... i when you when you go in when you watch a lot of this dark stuff and especially with this john wick era um, yeah you kind of dig how crazy crazy it is you know training your granddaughter to be an assassin right five years old um the song, okay yeah but, but we're going into, we're going to cross over to what you guys were talking about a few weeks ago. The end of 83, Atlantic Releasing Corp brings out Smurfs and the Magic Flute. Right, which was actually the U.S. market. Which I, we saw in a theater. 
yeah no i i recall seeing that and i think that's mm-hmm. one of those gosh so i was three years old and i realized huh this is kind of crap i yeah i i was wondering why it was taking so long to get to the smurfs and now i understand why it's because it's an adaptation of the first their first appearance in the comic albums as they were called in europe and it was originally made 1976 and atlantic in fact they had released the movie in a english dub in the uk by the end of the 70s and apparently that's the only dub that's available now so was that an atlantic or was that an emi it it was atlantic release incorporation well i understand the american one but yeah i don't know i don't know who did uh which studio handled the uk version yeah i I think shout factory has the rights to it though and they've brought it back okay shout factory that that uk cut but What's important about Atlantic releasing that film is that it made, it did pretty well at the box office, apparently, in the U.S. You know, it came out at the right time of year. And I think it was, you can draw a pretty direct line between that and that they started doing, that they did Secret of the Sword, the He-Man She-Ra movie, not two years later. Which you they can did. watch on, which you can watch on Stars. You just got to watch individual episodes. Right. Well, that, that's the old five-episode pilot thing. You would create a week's worth of episodes to serve as the pilot, and then you could re-edit that into a movie. Right. This, no, I mean, this I just remember... happened to be the one case where they did that for theaters instead of just throwing it on primetime or something. Right. Like they did with Ghost, like they did with the Sunbow Marvel shows of this period. Well, and the uh, DuckTales. Yeah. Every, and what the they pilot did was DuckTales. a big deal. Mm-hmm. How did Don- okay? Sorry, I'm not gonna. Not but Atlanta wound up releasing a bunch pant- of these sort of. Navy the thing numbers. was, Atlantic actually was responsible for le- for releasing a bunch of movies, animated movies of the mostly cheap variety, over eighty five, eighty six, and I think it's because the Smurfs movie had done so well for them. And one of those movies, now we're getting into it, was The Adventures of Mark Twain, which they actually did two releases for. So did we First, just, so there's really nothing notable of 84? No. Okay. You know, 80s all over didn't have anything to cover there. Well, I was just... And they were just short of getting to Adventures of Mark Twain because that would have been the May 85 episode, which was when Atlantic took their first crack at getting that film out because i i have i saw adventures of mark twain last year my friend jessica recommended it and does it, it does it treat does it treat Haley's comet better than life force arguably yes oh. <laughs> <laughs> um it is very much a personal project on will vinton's part because the, it's kind of, it's half an anthology movie and half a standard narrative. Yeah. Because you have the idea that... I, I'll Tom just Sawyer say my, been, my, my six, seven-year-old brain wasn't ready for it on Disney. No, it's, no, it's, 
very leaning into the later Twain work more than the early material. No, as a, you basically bring the bring our most famous as your. Um... Yeah, the, you have Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, and Becky Thatcher coming out of their stories, the viewpoint characters. Right. As Twain heads up to meet his destiny with Haley's Comet. Yeah. And in the process, it works through three of his other stories. The Diary of Adam and Eve, which ends up taking about at least a third of the movie. It's, it's broken up into several parts. Uh, the Mysterious Stranger. This is the segment everyone remembers for how creepy it is, where the kids meet Satan. Hey, I, if only if only the kids were my the niece and nephew were eh, maybe if the dwarfs tour th- this fall I can get uh, Fuzzball's kid uh, teach your children to worship Satan and <laughs> finally the there's a bit that adapts uh, part of one of his last works Captain Stormfield's visit to heaven mm. and. While the kids are realizing that Twain's not, Twain is very much going to meet that destiny when he gets to the common. And it is largely motivated by his grief over the death of his wife. It is literally a children's movie about an old man with a death wish. Hey, it's up. In a, even <laughs> much more so than up, <laughs> because it treats it very seriously. Seriously, and it is ultimately an uplifting film, but right. it goes to some places you would not expect an, an 80s animated feature to go, especially when you consider how dark the uh, anthology segments get. Yeah. Or for that matter, that they're pretty free, they're very free about using anachronisms in those segments. It's downright charming and original what they do with Diary of Adam and Eve in that respect or Captain Stormfield's visit to heaven. It's not a way you'd have expected it to go, but it does make sense for the material and the point that's, that Twain was trying to make. Mm-hmm. And it is a lovely movie. If anything, the movie it reminds me most of is like a kid's version of Paul Schrader's Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters. Okay. It's a very similar structure. If you've never seen that movie, it might be hard to explain. But it is basically a kid's version of that movie. Well, better four chap- those four chapters than Rashomon. <laughs> uh, that's a movie it reminds me of the most of, and it was made around the same time, too. And I can see why Atlantic was excited about it, because the claymation is quite lovely. Yes. But... They just could not get make turn that thing into a hit. It's kind of an esoteric topic for a movie aimed at kids. And they tried another release at the top of 1986. Remember when I was talking about the Kitty Matinee thing? Yes. Well, they tried that concept in a, a way again at the top of 1986 with this little mini shingle Atlantic put up called Clubhouse Pictures. It took Adventures of Mark Twain and four other kitty animated films, all of which were much cheaper affairs. 
and they kind of shopped them around to the multiplex market in that winter on a one to two week basis per film, kind of shuffling them around the country. And again, it didn't really make much of an impact. And what's interesting is what the other four movies were. Two of them, one of them was the GoBots movie. Uh, that's, yeah, I remember that. I don't know if we saw that in theaters or not, but... I never saw the film, so no. Okay, well, I mean, I'm, I know I've seen seen it. It's kind of like G.I. Joe. It's like, I know all the beats, <laughs> but, you know, I'm still just... I want to see G.I. Joe just again to see how Duke die. I mean, go into a coma. <coughs> right. You don't go into comas that way. <laughs> Another, the other three movies, you said that kids' TV shows becoming movies was an 80s thing. Well, That's not I, completely true because in the 60s, Hanna-Barbera did movies for Yogi Bear and the Flintstones. Yeah, I... No, I won't deny that, but I think what I was getting at is uh, Care Bears, the movie was didn't come from a TV show, which was a mistake right. I made when um, watch, doing the rewatch and looking over Wikipedia as I'm watching it. Right. Um, no, the, the, this was the, that, what I was getting at is that the 80s was the uh, pretty much you know, I always thought it was the Japanese who created uh, with Transformers who created um, stuff just to sell a toy line. No, I think it's American Greetings. <laughs> oh, no, definitely American Greetings was yeah. company was uh, kind of the pioneer in that form. Right. But in any case, the Yogi Bear movie, they reissued that in 1986 as part of this Clubhouse Pictures initiative. Okay. Uh, the other, The Man Called Flintstone, uh, that's always just been on video. That sounds but, like the episode of Harvey Birdman, but... Yeah. Go on. <laughs> but, and the other film, they also, the other Clubhouse Picture movies were Heathcliff the movie, which was just a compilation of yeah. stuff from the TV show. Uh, no, yeah, and I think we all saw through that, even at six. <laughs> and... The Adventures of the American Rabbit. Which, which I vaguely remember. But no, that's, I saw that uh, last year because that's that's another one that's been on Tubi because MGM has released a lot of the has the Atlantic Library catalog and they've well, I, I those did, as I say, I just asked Siri on my Apple TV 80s animated movies, and yes, I know the rabbit was up there. Yeah. Uh Adventures of the American Rabbit is interesting. I don't think it fully works. It does feel like it was the pilot for a series that didn't take because the pacing feels like it's several episodes put together. Okay. And it rushes and it rushes through some aspects and it doesn't through others. Although it has a lot of interesting ideas and you can see a lot of seeds of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series in it. Like yeah. I think it's Donatello's voice actor who voices the hero. Well, I mean, okay. in any case, it's a very recognizable voice. Uh, probably Leonardo's, but 
because I remember that. Yeah, that, that's probably closer. Robotech and um, such. Yeah, um, it's a very recognizable voice. Though. Yeah, he did uh, tet- the voice of Tetsuo. Um, and it's a very not, no, not Tetsuo. He was Canada, but sorry, it's the a robot chicken moment. It's a kind of a weird experiment of a film in its way. Well, I but. To if, go back, it sounds to, interesting to you. It's worth a look. I do like the character designs in it. Well, to go back to um, Streamline Pictures again and to bring up Prime Rose, um, wow. Prime Rose is pretty much something you can tell, like, okay, you wrote an episode and you stopped. Mm-hmm. I, it doesn't, it, you, you, you know, it's not a full episode. You know, this is intentional, but right. that, um, but that feeling that, and no, that's not how you do a uh, cut here. That's not how you do a fade. Um, well, you know, hey, just try a fade. I mean, that is something I loved loved about Fire and Ice. Is like, yeah, Lucas fades, <laughs> Star Wives, yeah. Um, so, and I think you get that with a lot of anime anyhow back then. Um, Demon City, Shinjuku, 1986. Um, well, I mean, pretty much the guy ever get thing from the director of Demon City. He also did Ninja Scroll. I mean, he's considered legendary. I just consider him excessive. Um, Vampire Hunter D. Right. But I'm just saying, like, they... It's a pretty common that when you bring up the American rat bunny or rabbit, it's pretty much just a common practice. I think, I think it's kind of the spirit of 90 for chill.com. Let's get this done and we'll go from there. But going, okay. So we've had adventures of Mark Twain. Yep. And then you get to the black cauldron, which I, it, it's Tolkien light, but it's fun, I think. I think um, it's a terrible movie. Oh. That little it furry thing is going to... I hope he haunts your dreams. <laughs> well, lesting you... It, it, just, <laughs> it just doesn't... It just doesn't work for me. I... It was a movie that just slid off my brain pan when I was seven in a way that I don't even think the Care Bears movie did <laughs> well, it didn't it didn't stick with we saw it three times in theaters it just didn't stick with me at all oh. and when I saw it again when they finally got it to video in 1998 I had to agree it was just terrible oh no I, I I find maybe it is being a little more um into it, it's not even as interesting as something like Crawl or Legend oh, or other films that okay, sort of right. at the same time. I, you could say Legend, but Crawl? Uh, there, there's a lot throw, of... Throw in a, a at least that rain. movie may put an effort into the visuals. Well, I there's don't no know. Like, really memorable do... settings or monsters in the Black Cauldron. No, it's, 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 it's Tolkien light. It's... I mean... You can you can say that Disney didn't have any balls doing that one, um, but no, I think it's a great way to introduce young young children to uh, what you know when you get to the Hobbit and Tolkien. I mean, I think 
I'd rather show a child uh, the Black Cauldron than Rankin Bass's Hobbit. Um, I'd have to disagree with you there. Well, nothing happens, and like this is this is the Rankin Bass's Hobbit is basically the um, and now for something completely different, um, giant cat segment animated segment. And there's so many armies of so with so many coats of every color, and it's far too expensive to go and film. <laughs> You'd never for your life see a low budget film like this. Yes. Notice my lips aren't moving either. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'll just say the new neighbors. Oh, yes, black is the ace I mean, of spades. Even poor John Hurt doesn't make much of an impression as the Horned King. And that guy was a great voice actor. Oh. I mean, he was. I mean, Orson if, Welles is a great voice actor, but Ultratron sucked. Right. Uh, which brings me to the voiceover work Hurt did in The Plague Dogs. Which okay, which was, was on there. The I didn't get around to watching. But. Uh, Plague Dogs is very good. It's a very sad film. Oh, you you, you but it feels get very emotional just from the synopsis. Yeah. It's very the sad film. aren't much fun. But uh too bad we're on spotify now i can't go and throw a dead pop dead puppies because i don't have the license but it's uh help me doctor you're my only hope okay but that but no play dog is very good as is watership down which uh doesn't qualify for what we're discussing because that's 1978 but it is the same filmmaker right so her oh. also voices a major character in that film. Okay. There's a lot of carryover. They're both based on books by the same author. Yeah, you wonder with all this animal guilt from England, why can't they just acknowledge their racism? I'm sorry. Um, okay. I'm, well, I have, Lord knows that's a concept I have not brought up with mom. <laughs> well, going into 1986. Yes. Uh, that's, we the, get the My Little Pony movie and we get it, the Transformers movie. Yeah. And you know, it did. I think it did my part about Transformers. There's yeah. so much stuff that could have been done great. Well, I remember when I saw it in theaters. I, you know, I had a pretty good understanding of the Transformers cartoon yes. up to that point. Thank you. And both then they're all the dumping trial. all this new stuff on me that I'm having a hard time. Oh following. no, they just killed the entire first line of toys. Yeah, <laughs> what they did. It's a waste of a voice cast. I mean, yeah. Um, and Judd Nelt, no, and I will stand by. Hot Rod should have been voiced by Roddy Piper. Yes, that that I did like that suggestion when you made it in that that other episode. Mm. Uh, but also in '86, we also had an American Tale. The other big animated film I can think of from 86, although it didn't really reach this country until 88, I think. And it's another British production, uh, is When the Wind Blows. Yeah, another one. Um, I think it was English-Japanese, but yeah, I mean... Yeah, Jimmy T. Murakami directed it. Yeah. Um, This, it's uh, uh, pretty much the same crew that did The Snowman. And it's okay. based on the same author's, the same artist's work. It's one of his more adult-oriented pieces. Oh, you think Nuclear Holocaust? <laughs> well, it is a 
profoundly beautiful and sad film. Oh, well, it's very I mean, strong satirical streak as let's, well. Well, let's just go right to 87 then with um, Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> In a way, kind of across, that would make a very interesting of sad double feature because they're both fundamentally about the same core tragedy, which is overconfidence in the face of a conflict greater than you can understand right now you do recall the, that uh grave of the fireflies was the first feature in a double feature yeah with my neighbor totoro yes yes but I'm with i didn't introduce ali to that <laughs> but um when the wind blows is fascinating because it does play as very dark comedy and stuff well, now you just sold me. It's essentially, well, yeah, it's essentially a two-person play. It's, yes. They're voiced by a, this little old British couple in the countryside. Right. Uh, John Mills and Peggy Ashcroft. Okay, for good voicing there, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're great because they have to carry pretty much the whole movie. The first third or so is the setup in that it looks like nuclear war is coming and that Britain's going to be caught in the middle. And this couple, you know, they've, they kind of follow along with the news and they have a basic understanding that they might have to prep for this, referencing the actual protect and survive pamphlets that they gave out in England around this time. But they ha also have a confidence that because they lived through World War II, they 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 lived through the blitz. They yeah. They saw a lot. They figure they can get through this too. Which was anything the, they, which was the British attitude. A lot of it is the, the coronavirus. But I digress. That is that is one of the sadder things about the movie is that it is still relevant in the sense that this older generation simply can't understand that this new threat will not play out the way the old one did. And after the bombs drop, they're, they're basically the only, and it's a wrenching sequence, how they handle that. Mm -hmm. They're basically left alone in the world and they don't realize that, that they can do everything they can to keep going, but it's not going to be for anything in the end that's and that's what it's that's what brings it in line with grave of the fireflies is that they don't realize that this is just too they were not meant to handle a situation like this and they can't and it's a very sad film but elder or very, child abuse flip your coin it's it's a film for adults. Very no, much. I'm 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 saying like it, Grave of the Fireflies but, is about children suffering. Wow. Yeah. This is obviously about the uh, so I mean people who can survive, but why? And no, in the end, they can't survive any more than the kids have a chance to. Well, I, I I'm just I'm just getting there saying like eh, they should be equipped, but they refuse to be no it's not they even that they refuse to be equipped it's that it's too big for them to understand oh okay that all right but again as it, i say you, you flip your coin problem, Elder, elders are children how do you want to what it has them? to do is it's the same thinking that made us think 
in the U.S., we had stuff like duck and cover. Right. And today we realize how useless that really would have been had it come to that. I and, don't know. I wouldn't have minded a test. <laughs> and as South Park demonstrated. <laughs> that, that's ultimately the point of both works is that we we fooled ourselves into thinking we could handle it. Mm. And we we knew we had to come to terms with the fact that we couldn't. Right. And that's say, ultimately the point of when the wind blows. Right. And as I say, it's rather timely right now with coronavirus. Yeah. When it when it atta- when it affected with the people who are compl- trying to reopen every time they can. Right. Um, while mm-hmm. but you know, at least with the British, you know, you would figure, well, I, we did have World War II, but yeah, everybody's dead from World War II right now. So, except Queen Elizabeth. Well, yeah, the film actually has a lot to say about how we do tend to, how that generation tended to romanticize its own experiences. Oh, yes. Uh, As, Tom Brokaw. Like the good old, like the good old days. <laughs> yes, Tom Brokaw. And how even the, and how, how pe- even the enemies, you know, Oh, no. they didn't seem so bad. Oh, in no. Comparison to hell, hell, America, America is based upon that. That's the entire reason. The film's ultimately very sympathetic to the protagonist, but it's also kind of clear-eyed. Yes. It's a fascinating film, and it does fit right into the 90 for chill. Nope, I, this is I only get, you know, I only had three days to binge, so. Yeah. Okay, you get to 87, and things start trailing off again. I think the yeah. only major releases were the Chipmunk Adventure, which we saw multiple times, and I think is all right. It's okay for what it is. I mean, oh, no, it, it's it's it it was torture for my torture for my our parents, but yeah. Uh, hey, um, we that was the year where we saw two canon movies. Took our had our parents take us to two canon movies. Yeah, that's true too. And the other movies being Superman for the quest for peace and masters of the universe, which mom wanted to see Franklin jealous. So yeah, she's, it's kind of her fault. Then there was film one of filmation's last efforts, uh, Pinocchio and the emperor of the night. Right. Which only recently came back into wide circulation because it was kind of under the radar for a long time. And that's a movie where you genuinely wish filmation had a bigger budget for it because when it's focusing on the even though it is just a reskinning of the disney pinocchio hey can't have look the disney pinocchio has an excellent set of pops i mean i really was tempted to buy the jiminy cricket alongside my figaro being kissed by cleo it, it i mean it's very much a reskinning of that movie but when it kind of gets funky in the final third, you do wish they'd had a bigger budget to work with. Because it's clear that the filmmakers wanted to make a good movie out of all this, but they just didn't have the resources. Well, the road to hell is paved with good attention. And then you get to 1988, and that's kind of where we start to see the sea change happen with Who Framed Roger Rabbit being right. this huge bet. Yeah, and it pretty much told people, hey, appreciate your cartoons. Yeah. Um, and then you had, uh, oh, shoot, we skipped a great mouse detective. 
Oh yeah, I forgot about that one. I'm not the huge fan of that movie. Some Disney fans seem to be. It's oh. a. I remember it being a good movie, but I just haven't felt much of a need to revisit it. Oh, I mean, I guess I guess you're talking to somebody who's very much about niche, and obviously, I have a podcast, Nostalgia. I mean. It's a little too brief, I think. As I say, it's only 74 minutes. But, I mean, it's a well-used, I mean, maybe, I dare I say, a perfectly used Vincent Price. Oh, I don't deny that I mean, there's... I, I am a huge... It, I'm a huge fan of the original uh, House of Haunted Hill. So... No, it uses him beautifully. And it has a... I mean, that movie didn't slip off the brain pan the way Black Culture did. Oh, There's no. a lot that's very memorable. I think about. I think it's I think it's a bit rushed. I would say, but I love the voice cast. I yeah. I really wish it would have you know like hey give me a little bit more you know. And yeah, little... I kind of see in an alternate world it could have been a bigger thing. I mean, but... Redekin should have fed at least two more mice to the cat. <laughs> and. No, I, I'm, I'm those sorry. Those are some Funko that. Pops I'm trying to track down. I, I saw the little the little girl, but no, give me give me Basil and there there were thinking I think around the '90s maybe doing a giant crossover movie. This would have been after Roger Rabbit. That would have brought together as many of the Disney feature care Disney characters as possible, and they would have had Basil as the protagonist trying to find Mickey. I don't know why we haven't had that or <laughs> damn you Square Enix <laughs> I don't need but, freaking Final Fantasy knockoffs give me but, Basil but I guess that was being considered at some point and didn't just didn't go through when you get to 88 though you have Land Before Time and you have Oliver and Company you also have one of the more interesting one of John Spunkmeyer's only features, great European stop motion animator with his Alice. Have you, are you familiar with that film? Uh, no, I am not. Well, it's available on the library based uh, free service Hoopla. That's where I finally caught up with it because I'd seen oh. the first half of it or so years ago as part of a college course on fantasy literature. Oh no, Allie, Allie's very familiar with Hoopla. Yeah. Uh, Alice is a stop motion take on Alice in Wonderland that's partially live action and partially stop motion doll, basically stop motion dolls miming out the story with this one little, with all the dialogue in voiceover by the little girl who plays Alice. And it's a deliberately distancing adaptation in how it uses film to how it uses the film medium to the point that it could, could get a bit annoying at times. It's hard to explain the technique, but it's kind of deliberately artificial adaptation. It's fairly faithful to the book, but it goes for a lot of grim surrealism in keeping with the kind of dark fantasy bent of the mid 80s. Well, I think Alice definitely needs a dark fantasy bent. Well, no, it, it works with the material very okay. well. As far as one that really feels like it's a respectful 
attempt to translate the attitude of the book to film, it works very well. It, it's very much a, it's not really a mainstream movie. Well, no. By any means, but it is a fascinating experiment on the text. It would be worth a look. Okay. Because, yeah, I've got a um, stoner co-worker who's very much into all things Alice. Who it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think you know Alice. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have Land Before Time and Oliver and Company, a film I rather like. Oliver and Company is definitely, um, I think, another one of my co-workers who we share cat picks with. Yeah. As I try to defend every cat, every pound of any kitty. There is no such thing as a chonk. Um, just, just, just love. That's that's all that is. Yeah, um, it is interesting talking about. I know everybody likes to call call it the Renaissance era of Disney. Which, if you're wondering, the Disney fans will generally delineate this as being from Great Mouse Detective to Tarzan maybe including Fantasia 2000. But, yeah, I think Fantasia 2000 is a great place to end it. Yeah, but I have a revisionist point of view that it would be better to call 1979 to 1991 the rebuilding period of Disney. Uh, I roughly, think... roughly starting with the black hole. I Well, no, it is definitely the rebuilding period of Disney. There's no question there. Some fans like to call it the dark Disney period from about 79 to uh, 85. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Which case it. you're. In which case you end with uh, one magic Christmas, I think. But I like to see 79 to 91 as the rebuilding period and that beyond the fallout of the last few years of ron miller and the kind of mess they were in at that point yeah when you get that, that was thing, a uh, big talking point on the screen drafts live yeah out. i've heard that episode okay but then you move on to the back half of the 80s as eisner and katzenberger kind of picking up the pieces and they were doing some interesting things with the disney ips and what mediums they wanted to work in that are just really interesting in a way I think (coughs) they lost sight of when they became huge again. I mean, there's more of an acknowledgement that there's life outside the Disney bubble in those years, that they have to kind of relate what they're making to what other people have done before them and alongside them. And it's also the time that they did start experimenting with Saturday morning cartoons because Gummy Bears was originally for NBC Saturday mornings. They made enough episodes that they could syndicate it. Right. And you also missed out on the Wuzzles. (laughs) I remember the Wuzzles. I barely remember those little mutants. I hope they were mutants, not... uh inbred stuff <laughs> not, in, were, not inbred you know let's, <laughs> let's, let's keep the let's keep the disney bestiality to uh clementine and goofy uh, 
but at that and I think that period they're still mainly using deriving their voice casts from more people who were doing stage work than people that they could cast for name value. And this was when Howard Ashman was at his full force when he did Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast. And I think Beauty and the Beast was the culmination of that whole rebuilding period in terms. Okay, I'm sorry I got interrupted. No, no worries, I mean. It's not as mom's not as cute as Skimble jumping on a keyboard, but we'll we'll digress. <laughs> but I see Beauty and the Beast as kind of the apotheosis of all the good things that were happening at Disney at the time. And then in 92, the Katzenberg Eisner era starts getting big headed and the money starts rolling in with stuff like Aladdin and, and the Lion King. And it just starts falling apart in terms of the quality of the work and well, that they become a lot more intent on cranking out as much stuff as possible. Well, I mean, hey, you get the Goofy movie, I guess. I, I know mm -hmm. that's very much beloved. Um, I mean, there's some good stuff that comes in the 90s yeah. from Disney. There's no doubt about that. But I do also think it plants the seeds for this enormous monolith of a company that keeps you isolated in this pop cultural bubble that doesn't have much respect for the past or a, the kind of art that can exist beyond it and becomes the snake eating its own tail. I think it's, I mean, it's hard to be a Disney fan now if you have any understanding of the pop cultural or much less high art worlds beyond the bubble that they have you existing in as a fan. Well, I think it kind of comes down. Um, I think it comes down, it comes back to the concept um, you brought up with film Twitter the last time you were on about investigating the past to understand the present. Mm -hmm. And uh, that takes time. And gosh, this is what Generation X, you and I have come to basically just saying, God damn millennials, uh, do the work. I don't think it's necessarily their fault, though. Well, no, it's Gen Z's fault, really. No, <laughs> sorry, it's not blaming I'm just, people. I'm just, it, oh, I, but it's, it's blaming a corporate culture that became so decentralized and deregulated in the '90s that it wound up creating these giant, like we're coming down to like yes. four. Look, five major you're, entertainment corporations. You're talking. Country. You're talking to the guy who lost WCW. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. I didn't get that. I, wrestling on TNT and TBS was one of the most important things growing up, regardless of how crappy 1999 to 2001 was. Um, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's just very difficult. I mean, I have, you know, probably my 
the coworker I relate best to. Um, and it's primarily about our cats. I'll, I'll say that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, I can't really recall her really ever getting into anything. Like I've had the, you know, Ella and Chanta is bullshit <laughs> argument with her. <laughs> uh, and the princess diaries is nothing more than twilight for girls who aren't depressed. <laughs> Which now I've probably talked myself into having to watch a Princess Diaries. Twilight's a two and a half star movie. I reluctantly have to acknowledge, but I hate every bit of it with my every fiber of my being. <laughs> and I wouldn't be surprised if Princess Diaries the same thing. But I don't know. I really think it's and no, you're right with the corporate culture. It's basically we have to sell what we have now. The mm-hmm. past is the past exists only for those who lived in it. And I think we're probably looking at that as the next uh, 20 years or so. I don't know. Like you need a, I, we need more context warnings and we have to get Fox news off of calling it cancel culture. And we got to get Fox News off advertising on Tubi. I think it may have been appropriate that I got a bunch of Fox News ads when I'm watching Stuart Gordon's The Pit and the Pendulum. I mean, Christian hatred uh, in a movie. Yeah, that, that's pretty much Christian hate. Well, on well let's move hate away from the political argument. That's a whole well, no, it's not the political. It's not really the political argument. I'm just I'm just going off. Um, it's just more about, as I say, the past is f- for those who lived in the past. And it might explain the political argument because people don't want to be told their past was crap. Their past was wrong, which is Pepe Le Pew. And, you know, that's that's what, and Dr. Seuss, you know, we learn. And it's, but to tell somebody so we're stuck really in a situation between a generation that doesn't want to learn and a generation that ref- that feels attack if they're told to learn. Okay. I digress. Thank you. Well, we're about to the end of working our way through animated features. Yeah, we got the 89 80s. and I don't really think of it. No, 89 is basically all dogs go to heaven and little mermaid. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry to I didn't think he mermaid. wanted to go into a deep discussion about Pound puppies and the legend of Big Paw or uh-huh. Rainbow Bright and the Star Stealer. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I've been looking for Rainbow Bright and the Star Stealers. That comes back to the artwork of former congressional candidate Stephanie Smith. I still have her um her works like Bad Breath, which is basically a painting of her pushing off. Frankenberry and her um I can't recall the title of it but it's basically uh Rainbow Bright facing off with Cerberus as hit her sprite realizes that he's just grown devil horns <laughs> this is the lowbrow art that I love and I really gotta read more juxtaposed now that I say that um no Rainbow Bright like 
the I don't know what it is about it. It's just that it probably had the best message of all of these diabetically sweet 80s cartoons about tolerance and acceptance. I don't know if I'd go that far. Well, I mean, are you going to say Strawberry Shortcake did it better? Strawberry Shortcake didn't do it well until Bitch Puddin' was conceived. Sorry. But I think we're coming to a natural end to this conversation. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't didn't expect a... uh, Year by year breakdown that uh, Drew McWeeny and Scott Weinberg would be jealous. Well, of. it's most interesting if you look at it year by year and see what people were experimenting with and where the directions it went in. All right. Yeah. No. I mean, no. It's it's very. It, there's no question that it's been a strong, a long, strange trip to. Um, how we're now as i say i think we're in a good place because at least parents are amused by the products they're at least considered for the most part uh, as long as it's not made directly for dvd involving barbie i don't think mom's suffering too much entertaining yeah. charlotte right charlotte is our niece so um i don't know if i I mean, you you laid out the perfect case that um, Disney has either, you know, Disney is more about the money than it is about the art now. Well, there are people online who've done whole video essays that can explain things more clearly and in more depth than I have. Okay, but here, one, video is just the simplest means of getting anything across now, my opinion. Um, two, it's like, you're too lazy to write an essay or you had somebody write yourself a great script and you just went and cut shit out of it. Sorry about the obscenity there. I, I, I watch a lot of, believe me, I watch a lot of YouTube videos, primarily English, give me my what culture and, um, cultaholic and such outside xbox if you want your videos to game still which means we're at a natural end because i think the whiskey is telling me yes russ you can do a truly fine british accent um no i think you made a lot of great points with all of this i mean i didn't expect you know i didn't expect such a uh, fine agenda on your behalf um appreciate it yeah, well, I mean, you're 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 the ideal podcast guest. Um, screen drafts. Hey, look her up, the poetic critic on uh, Letterbox. <laughs> um, you know, you you definitely probably could kick somebody's butt in a draft. I don't think so. There's so many so many of those topics I couldn't cover. I have ah, so many blind spots. But um, no, I mean you're. You always you always have a point. And it's not just talking to be talking, which is. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, very good. So, 
Uh, with that said, it is a podcast, of course. We don't do intermissions here, so it's all about plugs and upcoming events, as Colt Cabana defined it, king of podcasting. Um, so uh, Rory is available as the poetic critic on Letterboxd. It's, um, it's all one word, correct? Uh, yeah, no, I believe no. so no underscores or anything like no nothing like that okay so uh she gives she's a great gauge honestly when you're looking at your movie reviews because some of the people who follow me and hence i follow back um gosh like how how crappy can you be towards every kind of disney product worry is the ideal balancing (laughs) I mean, I'm a little five star heavy, but I went through the first three pages of a hundred, you know, top movies, and you know, there's a reason they're top movies. So, um, me, uh, do you have anything else going on though? I mean, we're on Spotify now. It's time to enhance the Scoop Staley Radio Network. Well, I, um. Besides Letterboxd, I don't think there's anything that would be of much interest to your listeners. Okay. Well, as I say, we are on Spotify now, which means once I get the entire lineup, expect adverts. I don't expect to sell a lot, but hey, you know, I need, you know, it doesn't hurt. I'm not, this has been a pretty inexpensive podcast. I guess I've probably dropped six hundred dollars on it but uh but you know you can find me doing a lot more on letterbox doing lists for every one of these podcasts so great way to introduce your friends to it uh of course the website is 94chill.com where you can still see me experiment with licensed music over certain reviews uh spotify you you won't get that what's your letterbox handle the letterbox is CM Darth. Okay, Darth like I'll see the, if I can look that up. Darth like the anyway. You should just be able to look at your followers. Followers, right? Yeah, I see it now. Yeah, thank you. Um, you don't have to follow me because all that the following followbacks. It's all a BS game. I'll acknowledge that. Uh, but as I say, you can find if this is the first time you're listening to Ninety for Chill, that's a great place to start to catch up. Uh, we're bringing up, I'm just doing the full episodes right now, uh, bringing them to Spotify and hopefully in the next few days we'll be on Google and then it's Apple and then it's the world. I do want to, uh, give in a plug for my friend, Jessica Ritchie. Okay. Because, um, well, she just got a two essays up this last week over at rogerebert.com, which she's written for, she's written for them before. But she's done. She just did essays on uh, the history of King Kong and on the big screen. She's uh, pretty well versed in that. She the kaiju fan in general. Oh yeah, she likes kaiju. Uh, When they announced that Criterion Godzilla box set, she said on uh, Facebook, "If you." Get this for me. I will kill a person for you, or me, or attend your improv show. <laughs> yeah, there's really no uh, in between. Believe me, as a guy who's 
looking to eventually get out of the retail to adventure to Chicago to see the be a part of the improv scene. Yeah, I will help you hide a body here. <laughs> but uh, I, won't, I won't I won't kill for anybody, but hide a body, I'm all game for. Yeah, I'm trying I'm trying to remember that from memory, but definitely she said she'd go to somebody's improv show. Yes, no. But no, she no. also did she also but she did a tribute to King Kong and she did a tribute to Beverly Cleary who passed away this past week. Yes. And it's a really good essay too. All right, very good. And that's rogerebert.com. Uh-huh. Um now is this the I don't know cuz I used to talk to one of your friends back when the internet was not yeah. really a thing. This is the one mm-hmm. from Minneapolis. Mhm. Okay. Kirsten Oh, that's Kirsten. Okay, I'm sorry. Not Jennifer. Jessica, sorry. Okay, well. That, yeah, Kirsten is my old friend. I still keep in touch with her. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Drop but, uh, her. Just, Let her know about but, the yeah. pod. <laughs> but uh, she isn't doing anything I know of that okay. would uh, be for your listeners. Right. So, I mean, for as for me, uh, the writing and promoting of the my writing and my attempts to promote my Z uh, movie, Main Event of the Dead, can all be found at maineventofthedead.com. The podcast, as I said, with all my attempts to play radio, it's eight seconds. You really can't go and complain about it. You record uh, executives' attempts. But as I say, we're on Spotify now. If we're on the same network as The Ringer, we're, we're getting somewhere and thank you very much for all your support with that support. Hey, feel free to try being a guest on the show. Send me an email at rustthebus the bus seven at gmail.com. I'm not afraid of what you can do with that. The dark web already has it. So, uh, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at main event zombie primarily. And now I'm thinking I better go and uh, lay claim to cool movies, Darth, if that's the, uh, a moniker that I'm using that seems most appropriate for me. Um, otherwise, tell CM Punk I'll fight him in the ring or the octagon. <laughs> okay. As I say, it's uh, Suntory Whiskey uh, has been the podcast juice this week. <laughs> Thank you very much for your tolerance of my little rants, Rory. No problem. And uh, thanks for taking the time. I know uh, with you going back to work, it can be uh, yeah. very, very tough to work that out. And uh, I hope to see you soon in uh, more livelier <laughs> circumstances. Okay. Talk uh, to you later. Talk to you yeah. later. Thank you. Can I hear a wahoo? Can I hear a wahoo?
never gonna get back home. Tom's got a plan, don't you, Tom? We're gonna sashay on over there and hijack this here ship. Save your ass. Have a nice day.